0: Blessings to you and your family. Today's episode is an interview with Kurt Klaus. He's a fellow pastor, uh, and he's someone who is a really enjoyable conversationalist. You'll find in today's episode that we talk about uh, different things pertaining to the church, to dealing with suffering, and you'll hear some real amazing stories and testaments of uh, interactions that he's had with people who have faced some really unique circumstances. Uh, I hope you enjoy this episode. And also, if you can do two things for us, first off, if you simply like this video, It is amazing the difference it makes for the YouTube algorithm. So if you think this video should be seen by more people, simply take three seconds and click that like, click that like button. And then secondly, we are always looking for feedback for um, things that we can do in the future. So if you have uh, tips for us, if you have topics that you would like us to cover, or if you just have questions that you want us to address, simply put them in the comment section below. Thank you and enjoy.
1: right? Kurt Klaus, how are you doing? Doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Welcome to the show and happy new year. Thank you to you as well. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. This is gonna be a lot of fun.
0: Yes. Yeah. So are you, are you doing anything for the new year?
1: Like are you, do you have any, uh,
0: any, what's it called? Not initiatives, but uh,
1: resolutions. Resolutions. Yeah. You know, I normally am not a resolution guy Mm -hmm. uh, because I don't know, mainly because I don't like to fail. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I, most of my resolutions that I've done, like most people, it's like you get going and then it just, collapses and so this year I was like well I shouldn't do it and then there was one thing that just kept coming up in my mind that I was like I'd like to try and that is um, the, as this conversation goes on you will find that I'm a little bit um, distractible mm-hmm. is the the way it goes I, when we do staff meetings at work it's uh, there's a there's a certain uh, catchphrase at the last two congregations that uh, we've had is um, you ever seen up uh, yes it's been okay. a little while but yeah the the, the dog squirrel yeah. And yeah, so, yeah. you know, we'll be going on a staff meeting. I'll be going off in here and there and everywhere. And then suddenly just some staff person will be like, Hey, pastor squirrel. And it's like, okay, back to the the fact. And, um, because of that, my brain's always just going all over the place. And one of the things I wanted to do this year is just kind of, I think what a lot of Christians want to do, it grow in my faith and just, mm-hmm. you know, you know, have my faith become more part of me and my thinking and my acting and all these things, And the more I thought about that, I was like, okay, well, how do I do that? And the number one thing I thought of, at least for me, that is a hindrance is stopping and thinking and just letting silence, you know, Um, before we came in here, you guys were setting up and Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, I'm just going to go in here into the church. I've been trying to like, when I start the day at work, I go into the church for just a few minutes, say a quick little prayer, just let my and a lot of that is actually it's not so much praying, it's being in God's presence, just letting my brain stop Mm -hmm. and just letting that, yeah, and I'll say the prayer and I'll say, but then I'll just sit there for a few minutes and just, and I know this sounds very new agey, but just breathe, just let that, let things slow down a little bit. Um, and so that's been kind of my new year's resolution, which to be honest, I'm actually enjoying so far. Mm -hmm. You know, normally most of my new year's resolutions have been, okay, you need to work out a lot more and, you know, eat, healthy things, uh, which is never, <laughs> neither Green of which, things. yeah, n- n- neither yeah. of which are things that I want to do. Yeah. And this one has <laughs> been one where I've been actually like, okay, this is good for me. And I've actually been enjoying it. Uh, so I think this is one I actually have a chance of possibly keeping with. Mm-hmm. So well, I think but, that's one of the most important prayers for, for us now, right? Is just to, to sit and
0: kind of be silent. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been trying to work on that in two ways. As well, one's part of we do Exodus 90. We've talked about that before, so I won't go in length on that. But one of the aspects of that is removing your kind of addiction to your phone. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought I'm pretty good with my phone. And I, I mean, I, yeah, I'm. I feel like I'm pretty good as far as like I'm not normally. I don't look at text messages all that much. Mm-hmm. That being said, um, I put a um, like an away message from four o'clock p.m. to four a.m. with my text messages, and basically oh, nice. said if it's an emergency call. If not, I'm not going to look at this. And what shocks me is how often I'll be with like my kids and how often my mind like goes to the phone and goes to the phone. I've been just making mental notes of when my mind wants to reach for the phone. Mm-hmm. And it's been I've been shocked and uh, very humbled by that, just saying, oh, wow, my addiction to my phone is much more. But to your point, like that just leads to this distraction. Mm-hmm. And if you take that away, it kind of forces you to be right there in the moment. And then if you're doing that with prayer, of course, I don't know if you've noticed this, but... Cause I've been doing kind of the same thing and I've been trying to do 20 minutes and I'll start, I always start with the Jesus prayer, okay. like, Lord Jesus Christ, son of the living God, breathe in and have mercy on me, a sinner, breathe out. And it's just a good way to just kind of, sometimes you don't know how to start. So you just do that. And then I'll just let it kind of flow into my, and my mind starts to drift to something. Mm. Right. And I'll just, all of a sudden I'll think about somebody or I'll think about something or I'll think, think about a situation, my kid. And all you're doing is just, you're letting, you're being in God's presence, but you're just letting your mind do what people have let their minds do for most of human history, but we don't because we're always distracted by something. And it's amazing what your mind is just begging to do, right? It's just begging to think and process
1: through all of these experiences that you're going through. Well, and that's, uh, we were talking about what I'm, you know, I'm going to be going up North here in a little bit. And that's actually something my wife and I have intentionally done. As we've said, we're going to go places that have no TV. Mm-hmm. It's like, we're going to read, we're going to talk to each other, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to play, we're going to work with puzzles, we're going to do these different things. But the idea was no TV and we try to shut the phones off as much as possible. But you're right. As soon as you try to stop doing that, you realize how much you, I, I talked about it in a sermon about three weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago. And as I'm writing about how much we're addicted to our phones, I caught myself checking my phone five or six times in that paragraph alone. Yeah. And I'm just like, uh, this is a problem. Yeah. You know, this is something I need to work on. So, and uh, I, I've never heard that Jesus prayer before. That was, I, I like Yeah, it. what that?
0: it's, um,
1: and I don't know if you can
0: quickly, I know you're messing with some audio things over there, but um, it's it's a very old prayer. I think it's one of the oldest prayers. Um, that's been used by the church. It goes way back and it's just, it, it goes with your breathing, which was mm-hmm. another point you brought up, which I think is important because it's amazing, right? How important do you, do you notice a big change with your breathing? Oh yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. And, um, uh, most of the Jewish prayers, even right mm-hmm. there, like at the time of Jesus and such, Paul, the prayers that Paul would have done and all of that. And then the early church, so many of them focused on breathing. Okay. Right? So there was a certain rhythm to what you said when you breathed in mm-hmm. And then what you said when you breathed out. And, that, and then yeah. that would kind of flow and change. But that would be kind of the bedrock to the prayer. Um, so we've used that. Nowadays, we've lost that for the most part in, I would say, the American church and uh, the Christian church here in America. And But what still uses it, well, most of the other cultures that haven't lost it. So now all of a yeah. sudden we think, well, breathing exercises means like, that must be like yoga yeah, that's and what i said
1: when i started off with it just it's new agey i know yeah. but you know yeah
0: but like no it's just it's it's how our bodies work right we are we are we're beings of breath right god breathes breath into us that's the foundation of our day all day long we're breathing in and we're breathing out so it makes sense that prayers go can match
1: that and that's part of that mm-hmm. that spiritual enterprise so well, when you're thinking about that, you're thinking, especially when you're thinking about that idea of thankfulness or just kind of focusing on God, when you're thinking about that breath, it's something you take very much for granted all day. I'm just breathing, mm-hmm. you know, but when you actually thinking about it, okay, you're that breathing in, that breathing out, you're like, God gave me both those, that, that in, that out, that right now, this fact I'm breathing, all of this is a gift mm-hmm. and it's something you know, throughout the day that you don't even think about, but in that moment, it's like. And I think if I'm a, if I become thankful for just the breath that is coming out of me right now, mm-hmm. I will see God in and His gifts in so many other places. If I start off that day with just that breath, mm-hmm. and I wish I could say I you know I didn't I I'm gonna actually start researching some of the stuff you just talked about with those yep. early church prayers because I hadn't heard of those before. Um, where I started was with uh, Tanner Olson. I don't know if you've ever heard of him before. I've heard his name, but no, I don't. I don't yeah. He's a poet. Uh, does uh, some writing and different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, LCMS guy, but does just a lot of different stuff. Yeah. Um. He came and talked at our church one time. Okay. And he actually started off with, "Okay, I want all you guys just to breathe in, breathe out." Mm-hmm. And I I sat there going, "Who did we ask to come here?" <laughs> I'm like, like great. Oops. I'm a, yeah. I'm like, great. I'm gonna. It's gonna be a conversation with the elders tonight. I'm like, yeah. But you know to to his credit he kept going and i went okay if i'm gonna invite this guy i'm gonna actually try this mm-hmm. and i he talked about breathing in breathing out and i'm doing it and he did this whole thing with just okay your toes and kind of walked you through this just uh, paying attention sorry mm-hmm. no you're getting paying attention and that kind of thing and i was like wow I actually, by the time he was done, I was actually able to pay attention to what he was saying more because I be, I came in the moment. Mm-hmm. I, it was suddenly there in that moment. I was paying attention to the breathing. I had actually calmed down. Mm-hmm. My brain had calmed down. And so when he actually started talking about all the different things he was talking about, I was like, wow, I, I was so much more in the moment. I was so much more listening and hearing what he had to say. Mm-hmm. Um, And so that's where that idea of just starting. So you thank you. You just gave me a new gift here yeah. this new year. So there, I'll
0: get, I'll give you an example one. So N.T. Wright talks about this a little bit in mm-hmm. his bu- a Biography on Paul. Yeah. Um, but it, so he lays out some of these. So he he lays this for and he says, "There's no. I mean, I can't possibly know this." But he he lays one of the prayers out that was very popular at the time, and he likes to imagine Paul on the road to Damascus. And one of the prayers that were very popular, and a time a time where they would do a lot of these prayers, were when they're on the road, right? Because yeah. you're, you're, he's probably on horseback, you doesn't know, have a phone, does not have a phone. <laughs> he's not listening to on the line and with Kurt Klaus, yeah. right? He's just he's just there. It might be a hot day, so they would do a lot of these these prayers, right? So mm-hmm. and they were once again bedrocked and breathing. And the one that NT Wright proposes, just because it 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 fits the narrative, not because he's making any kind of extra historical claims or something, but he says. They would go through, um, I think it's, uh, I always mix them up. Is it Ezekiel 6 or Isaiah 1? It's Ezekiel 1 and Isaiah 6. So I think it's um, Isaiah 6, which is the throne room scene, right? Mm -hmm. So you start off, and one one that they would do is they would do this breeding, and then they would slowly reflect and kind of picture the base, right? And then as they keep going up, you start seeing like the cherubim and the seraphim, and then Mm -hmm. you go up, and then, of course, then you see the throne of God, and Mm -hmm. then you see one like a son of man sitting on the Mm -hmm. throne. So that's why... And he writes, taking that—that that was a very known prayer that was very popular to do because you're you're reflecting on the nature of God, mm-hmm. right? And you're kind of visualizing it and pushing everything else away. And then he likes to imagine that he looks up and he sees on the on the throne someone
1: like the Son of God, like or someone like the Son of God, right?
0: He actually see, <laughs> has, and then he has his his Damascus encounter with the Son of God. So once again, that's not that's not in the Book of Acts. We don't know that for sure, but we do know that was a prayer, and we do know that he sees the Son of God and. We do know that he understood his Old Testament context enough so that when he sees Jesus as the Messiah, it f- plugs in and shines light into all of these yeah. stories and things that he would have known by heart. So that that's just one example, but that's I think it's a very potent one.
1: Yeah, I always love thinking about stuff like that. Though, like, what was that? What what were the prayers that? Uh, I, for example, one of the things I, I I've been blessed to go to Israel mm-hmm. and go to Capernaum, and you the they know where the synagogue was there, and so they've got because it's. I think 200 BC, I think is where that one started or something like that. Or maybe, maybe that's too far. I don't know, but it's, it's been there for a while. It was definitely there in Jesus day. It's the same foundations. Yeah, Yeah. And since it's the exact same setup in every synagogue where everything was, you get to go and you get to go through. Okay. Um, this is where Jesus, this is the room Jesus was in. And this is where Jesus would have read mm-hmm. the the text, uh, you know, saying this in, this has been fulfilled in your day. Mm. The, this somewhere in this area is where uh, the the demonic man would have come forward and confronted Jesus. And you're just kind of wondering, okay, he has been there so many other times. What were the other texts that he read there? What was the other things that he shared? And just, you, you know, there's so many things that you can yeah, we don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. But there's so many things that just be fun to know. And just you let your imagination kind of run wild with what could have been. Not something you're going to preach a sermon on. Right. But still something fun to just let your imagination run with and have some fun with. Because what's your imagination
0: doing? It's connecting parts of the text, right? Mm-hmm. You're wondering what would he have said. Like, I don't know if you saw The Chosen. Um, they've got an episode where, how does it, oh, it's, it's really beautiful. It's one of those, I'd never tear up. Mm. with things and with the chosen like it's like half the episodes i tear up like it just they, they do a really good job yeah jesus and mary i wept
1: like that, a baby absolutely that one <laughs> yeah. that one might be the well, yeah. certainly one of the biggest um, i actually i'm just like even just mentioning that i'm like okay uh, yeah. Hey, let, yeah let's keep talking yeah when, right.
0: he, when he calls her name yeah right because it, it's been lilith mm-hmm. right before anyway
1: yeah oh yeah and she's fighting it and it's just like you know like yeah, yeah. that and sorry the, you know, go <laughs> that's yeah i mean sorry right. um, you just get that going and i'm like oh yeah and then there was yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's so many good ones yeah that's they, they're, doing, they're doing a really good job but yeah
0: there's one where um it's so I, I don't i can't remember the whole episode but there's the context of john writing his gospel so john goes to see mary after this is you know after the death and resurrection and everything like this early church and john goes to mary and he's kind of explaining to her john one okay. right so i've started my gospel da 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 And actually, so that's at the very end. But so now as I'm remembering it, at the beginning, it's one of the first times that Jesus reads in the temple Mm -hmm. and he sends John to go pick. So it's one one of these times where uh, whoever the reader is picks the scripture. Yeah. Okay, so he sends John back and he says, you pick it for me. And he had been talking about creation earlier in the episode. So then John picks um, Genesis 1. So Jesus is reading Genesis 1 and John's listening to this and then it's tying into the teachings that Jesus has been given kind of revealing who he is and then the the authors do are the uh, the producers do a good job of they're, they're doing this at the very end of the episode Jesus is reading Genesis 1 and then John starts reading John 1 so they're they're teaching you that John 1 is an overlay of Genesis mm-hmm. 1 they're showing you that this would have come out of teachings that Jesus would have given to John and that John is processing these things through the work of the Holy Spirit you know, after the death and resurrection, and fully making sense of these things. So that's that's a theologically accurate representation. We don't know if Jesus read Genesis one and yeah. John, but we do know those connections were made
1: at some point. How they were made? And he would have read know. it at some point. Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah.
0: So it's um, once again, it's just, it's a beautiful way of you're you're using your imagination, but you're doing so in a way that's actually helping you weave the scriptural narrative and the scriptures together in a way that uh, imprints it on you in a very mm-hmm. strong
1: way. I yeah, know I've I've. I've absolutely loved the the Chosen, and I've I've got an interesting relationship with it. It's that like I haven't watched all the new ones. I've gotten mm-hmm. one in season one and two. I've had that inter- interesting relationship where I love the fact that it brings so like it's an imagine you, you know, as long as you understand it to be. Mm-hmm. This is somebody's um, um interpreter or ideas about what could have happened, trying to fill in the gaps. Yeah, like many other Christian movies have done before. You know, mm-hmm. with Jesus, I mean, it's like very few of those movies have done you know, wrote, you know, through the scripture, um, the one that really got me was the Nicodemus. I think it was end of the first season. Um, oh yes. Uh-huh. And he's, he's around the corner and Jesus is, you know, follow me. And he's around the corner and he wants to, and he can't, mm-hmm. and he's literally just bawling. And I'm going, yep, uh, uh, that hits home mm-hmm. that hits home deeply you yeah. know that idea of there's times that you've been called and you've been god has said this is how you want you i want you to follow me and this is how you i want you to to live in these things and how there have been times that i think i don't think i'm gonna surprise anybody with this so, you know i have failed miserably mm-hmm. and it's that you know you feel like the guy standing around the corner just bawling his eyes out mm-hmm. you know and yeah Oh, it's, but that's the the thing is that the, the negative I have found, though, is that there are those that have kind of taken it and like going, they would like prefer the chosen over the actual scripture. And yes. it's like, yeah. no, yeah, you know, okay, no, 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 I appreciate you guys like this and I appreciate it's giving you a new desire to be in the word and that you want to get closer to Jesus through this. Mm-hmm. But remember that that's not the scripture. Yeah. You know, and I think it, I, in my personal opinion, I think I put it in the same place as the liturgy or hymns or these other things that. People can get more hooked on those than, you know, actual scripture. It's like, you know, you know, yes, that hymn is great and it's, you know, based on scripture, but it's, you know, it's it's a great hymn. And we we sometimes I think can get pulled in that and go, no, no, let's stay hey, back here. This is the most important thing, you mm-hmm. know, and then let's use this to enhance and enjoy and bless and and that kind of stuff. So
0: well, I can think of Christian art kind of in that category mm-hmm. too, because we're supposed to be sub-creators, right? Like God is the creator, but he creates us as creative beings. So art's a great expression of, you're trying to uh, give form to these components of the Christian faith, Christian tradition, Christian confession, and those are great valuable tools, Mm -hmm. right? But to your point, if ever the art kind of super, it kind of imposes itself Mm -hmm. backwards onto the scripture in an artificial way. Or supersedes it. Or supersedes it, then that becomes kind of a danger. Mm -hmm. Like I've got a picture of my office. It's, um, Oh, I'm going to draw a blank on the author's name. It's a Spanish, or not author, artist. Spanish artist. He. um, It's called The Shroud of... It starts with a V. Anyway, it's... um, Oh, Victoria or whatever it is? Yeah. Is it just the face one? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's based off of The Shroud of Turin, Mm -hmm. um, which a lot of the art at that time was. But it's actually used in the movie Silence. If you've ever seen that movie, i not. I've oh, heard of it, but I've not seen. That is a that's a heavy movie to sit through. So uh, Martin Scorsese does it. Um, I think. Yeah, it's Martin Scorsese, who's a, who's a Catholic, um, and he's going through the time of the persecution of the kind of first missionaries that went to Japan. Japan was very harsh, you know, and not letting Christianity come their way. And this is, I think, maybe I could be off. Maybe 16th century, 15th century, something like that. And anyway, in the movie. Um, Martin Scorsese keeps using this picture and um, it shows up in the water. And at one point it just shows up for like 10 seconds on the screen and there's nothing else but this picture, mm. right. Of, of, Christ. And I won't go into the whole movie and whatnot, but anyway, uh, there's some powerful components to that movie. The way they use that art is very potent. So I have it hanging up on my wall. Good. Right. So maybe that looks like Jesus. Maybe it doesn't. Right. But the, yeah.
1: the veil of Veronica, that's it is. A, there's some different versions of yeah. it. Um, it was it started you yeah, know the V. I was like if you go down. The idea is that is the face cloth that was on Jesus. The shrouded Turin would have been the whole cl- the whole thing that went over him, and then the the, the uh, oh, ver- I Veronica's veil. For I, I can't remember if it's either the cloth that was over his it's face when right he was there. buried, or uh, keep keep going. She had placed it on him, like as he fell one of those times, that kind of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. So it's it's part of that good, good tradition, yeah. right? Of, of him on his way to his crucifixion. Um, yeah, so that's it, and mine basically is not the whole picture, it's just basically the veil itself,
1: right? So, the picture of Christ,
0: I love it because his eye the, the eyes are so well done to where he's just it looks like he's staring at you, mm. right? And he's got well, like those exp-
1: wonderful little statues that they had that Jesus would watch you as you <laughs> yeah. walk around. Well, it does that, it's
0: got kind of both to where they're like, there's this feeling of him watching you, um, in a way because he's got I mean, he's got the crown of thorns on his head, right? So, there's this aspect of He's looking at you as the one who's put him on the cross, and also he's looking you to you as the one. This is why he's on the cross is for you, right? So there's both this this kind of law gospel component mm-hmm. I find in just looking at at the picture. So I love it. It's up in my my office anyway. To your point, you know, good Christian expression and art is a good thing for Christians to do, mm-hmm. as long as they
1: stay rooted in what the real foundation is and, and continually return to that thing. Yeah, and that's always the tough thing when it comes to art. At what point of view? At what point are you honoring and enha- not enhancing, because you can't enhance the Gospels, but how are mm-hmm. you translating maybe, uh, you know, showing it in a different way, kind of like I personally think The Chosen does. It takes that truth and maybe shows it in a different way that somebody might not have heard it otherwise, but this is a new way of showing it and explaining it. Mm-hmm. And what time, at what point have you taken it, too far might not be the right word, but you know, that is not helpful maybe Yeah. You know. Yeah, and that's a tough, I mean, those are tough waters to
0: navigate, Mm -hmm. you know, certainly as individuals, but then as the church, Mm -hmm. because, I mean, I don't know, Jesus Christ Superstar. (laughs) Yeah. One of of my professors loved loved that one. He always told us we should watch it. Not, I don't think he loved it for the sake of it, but he loved it as, this is kind of an expression of the culture of the
1: 60s and 70s and the way they approach Christianity, I think, but. I was raised on Godspell, so, you know. Okay. uh, 60s or 70s, I can't remember. Okay, yeah.
0: So, yeah. So, anyway. Um I'm wearing a Michigan shirt. Yes. I right. got to mention this now cuz I'm getting cold and I need to put my <laughs> my sweater back on here, but I wore this for a reason cuz we are we're recording this going to win the national championship. And they have just beaten Alabama. They beat Ohio State for the third year and uh I'm a deep Michigan fan. I don't watch as many I don't have the time. We got kids and stuff. Young no. kids, so I don't watch as much as I used to, but I've I've got I've got to take this opportunity to plug <laughs> <and> Go Blue. <laughs> I mean, I mean, after we went through, like, 15 years of just being beaten up, going through coaches, we just, the roughest years in Michigan's history, mm-hmm. so to come out of that on this end has been really cool, you know? To beat Ohio State three years in a row, I did not think we were going to beat Alabama.
1: Oh, I didn't I was, either. I didn't even watch the game because I didn't want to watch yeah. Michigan get beat up by Alabama. Because so. they're the SEC. It's just, mm-hmm.
0: you it. like, you just go into that game and it's like, we might be the better team on paper, but they're Alabama, like,
1: mm-hmm. You got to go to feeder those. school. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So the fa- like the fact that we not only won but showed ourselves dominant in the first half, came back, did it come back in the second half, and then finished with tons of confidence. I mean, the way they they ran the ball in overtime and the way they shut them down was huge. So we'll see what happens. to We play Washington in the championship. I'll watch the game. I hope we win. To be honest, I'm I'm content. You know, I'm I'm content. We've. We pulled our. My point is, we pulled ourselves out of this. Like, you are officially hit. a
1: Minnesotan now, man. You, you know, you're just like, yep, um, yeah, I've gotten, the, I, I hit <laughs> something good. good. I expect failure moving forward. Yeah. So that's you know, that's about as Minnesotan as you can possibly get. That's yeah. Just you know
0: we've had redemption we don't need kingship yeah but i'll take it kingship if we want to be watching to go for it but just, you
1: expect failure that's the thing yeah. that's I, I, yeah you know, there
0: you go i think this last week was the last validation beating ohio state three years was mm. huge because they beat up on us for a while and that's yeah. our that's our season right goes and rises mm. and falls on that and then being able to beat alabama on that big stage mm. now i think we've shown okay we have the you guys are real harbaugh has gotten the program back okay.
1: And, and which is interesting because I thought you know that first year he came it went well and then it you know was it the next two years was not so yeah, it's good a tough years yeah and so I thought oh this is not going to work and you know I'm glad they stuck with him because mm-hmm. oh. I mean it, I mean you just watch in college it's like well NFL same thing you have one bad year you're gone yeah you know if you get like was with Texas school just paid seventy like after one year paid somebody seventy five million just to go away <sighs> you know it's just Oh, that money man yeah okay. like couldn't you have just given it one more year it just yeah. you know but yeah. Well, wow. I'm going to throw my sweater back on here.
0: People did not come to listen to me talk about Michigan, but I cannot take advantage or not take advantage of this, Bennett. You would have lost all respect for me. <laughs> 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 so uh, one thing we want to do, we talked about this before, and I thought this would be fun. So want to go through um, kind of we got a list here of kind of questions that our audience is going to be asking, yeah. right? And just kind of go through and um, – both of us are kind of, a, we've talked about like a jack of trades, right? So we dabble into a lot of different things. Neither of us has, has a PhD nope. on something specific, but as pastors, and you've got more tenure as a pastor than I do, um, and you've, you've been a mili- uh, not a military, you've been a police chaplain, is that Correct. right? Yep. And you've been a teacher mm-hmm. at the middle school and high school. So you've, you've, you know, you've been teaching confirmation, all of this. So you've yeah. dealt with a lot of the practicality of answering people's questions that they're wrestling with. You know, it's part of the job of a pastor, certainly the job of a teacher. So we've got a list here of questions, and if you're okay with it, we'll just kind of, I'll just throw some of these at you. Some of them might stick. Some we'll talk about. Some we might just move on from. And some we might just leave. Yes. Yeah, you can say, pass. (laughs) Um, So let's do do this. Um, One of the questions that people certainly ask has to do with the theological differences within Christianity, right? And I don't think people are necessarily looking for a full discourse on what does what does each one fully mm-hmm. believe and hash that out systematically right but I think people do just look at the church in America and they drive down I mean they live in a t- city of 40,000 and they just drive by 14 different churches right mm-hmm. and what's going on there right what why are these why are there these differences are they important? Um, how
1: would you go about that? Um, well, actually, this is kind of one of those fun ones that I do for, you know, new member class because mm-hmm. that's exactly what they ask. We get people that come in, they're like, and we kind of do our new member classes and take it, you don't have to become a member. It's a great way to find out what we believe. And if afterwards you're like, Yes, I believe this, this is what I want to do. But we tell people it's like, this can just be a way to find out what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually we find that by the time we're done, a lot of them do want to join. And some come back again and do it again and that kind of stuff. But that's a question I get a lot because we have people that are coming from no church background. We get people that are coming from like ELCA, Catholic, Methodist, Presbyterian. Um, Been actually getting a few Hindus lately, which has been made the conversation Mm, much more interesting. Um, And so especially those that don't have a lot of that church background, they're like, I see all these churches. What's the difference? Why? Why are they? And because you only have so much time with these people, I've kind of had a way that I try to do it. And it's not – it's the rough and fast version. Mm -hmm. And what I tell people a lot of times is it has to do with how you see scripture. Mm -hmm. I say you've got – let's just put it a time – like not timeline, but just like a kind of a line. And I say you'll have what most of the Protestants uh, would fit into. And we do a quick little thing on what Protestant is. But, you know, we say uh, most of the Protestant groups would say scripture – and reason Mm -hmm. so we'll say i'll tell them like okay let's pick let's see how this goes into real life let's pick communion Uh, you have jesus saying this is my body Mm -hmm. you have paul saying when you take that you participate in the cup are you not participating in the blood of christ when you participate in the bread are you not participating in the body of christ Uh, and then you got 11 which you know talks about not recognizing and the problems with that Mm -hmm. and so i said if you're on the protestant end what you would do is you'd say, okay, this is what Jesus says, but does that make logical sense? That Jesus is in heaven and he's here with me in the in the cup and stuff. Like that? And how does Jesus fit in the cup and all this kind of stuff? And you know, so they take scripture and they filter it through that logic filter. Mm-hmm. And if it makes sense through the logic filter, then then I'll believe it. Um, and then you've got on the other end. Which would be more the Catholic end? You can also say maybe some uh, Eastern Orthodox and that kind of thing. Uh, Scripture and other revelation, Mm -hmm. Uh, which would be you go okay. You've got scripture, and scripture is important, but what the Pope says about the that scripture, or um, what an early church father says about that scripture. Which don't me wrong. I love the early church fathers, but Mm you know they were human like you and me. Could be wrong as well. Mm and so, uh, you know, the Pope may say you should be praying through Mary or something like that. Mm-hmm. And even though Scripture may say with, when, you know, Hebrews, you know, there's one mediator between God and man. That is the the man Jesus Christ uh, who, you know, died for your sins. And the Pope would say, yeah, but, you know, and so they, they get to listen to Scripture plus all this other stuff, this other revelation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I say and i i, I i'm honest with them this is going to sound like a big boast because there really isn't a whole lot of other people in the middle is you've got Lutherans specifically not all lutherans i'll tell Lutherans. Yeah, yeah not all lutherans i'll say well, missouri synod and i say wells and there's mm-hmm. some others but you know we can you know but mainly we'll just talk about us here right now yeah um i'll tell them it's scripture whether it makes sense or not you mm-hmm. know um and I say, there's some things in there here that are not going to make sense. The idea that you are simultaneously a saint and a sinner, mm-hmm. that you are a sinful human being, but God sees you as holy uh, because of his son and that kind of stuff. I'm like, doesn't make sense that you can be both at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea, and I go back to communion, I say, Christ says that he is present. We also have that the bread and wine are present. How does that work? How is he present? And like, you know, you can go into all these questions. We go, we don't know. We just go, he says he's present. We believe it. And we trust that his word is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if our brain sometimes goes, I don't understand how that works. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we go, yeah, well, guess what? When you get to heaven, you can ask, how did that work? Yeah. Uh, but in the meantime, we just trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I said, not that we don't use our brain. You know, I, I I say we still study the scriptures and we study how this works and we use our brain and how it applies to our lives and, and all these things, but we don't let our brain override scripture. Mm -hmm. Um, and I said, that's kind of how the differences. So you get your, um, mostly Protestant groups, your Baptists your, you know, a lot of other groups like that, that would say, let's go back to communion. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like using that one because that one really has a way of going across all yes. three Yeah. Um, okay we believe Jesus said do this we say we believe it's important but does it make sense that Jesus is present mm-hmm. I mean you know that kind of thing and then you go to us and then you go to the Catholic Church which you know and the differences and, and so on and I usually find it comes down to what do you feel scripture is mm-hmm. um, and when people ask about the ELCA what's the difference between the LCMS and the ELCA I mean they're both Lutheran right and yeah, well, yeah. no, but. Uh, yeah, 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 it's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I say the big difference there is scripture. Mm-hmm. I said you would have in the LCMS, we believe that scripture is the inerrant word of God. Mm-hmm. And the LCA would say that the, the Bible contains the word of God. And they, and I tell them it sounds, that sounds very similar. You know, it's like, well, that sounds like you guys are almost exactly the same. And I'm like, well, when you say it contains, that means it also contains stuff that isn't mm-hmm. God's words. And therefore, sorry. No, go ahead. Yeah, and then you can pick and choose what those are, Mm. and surprise the things that you think that God didn't say. Amazingly, seem to match up with what culture doesn't like and what you don't like. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it's kind of interesting how that works out every time. You know, you don't like this. You know what? God didn't say that. Um, You don't like this. You know, Paul's misogynist. Mm -hmm. You know, we shouldn't listen to him. You know, and that's actually how you end up with the head of what it was at the. Gettysburg Seminary, I want to say it must have been, I want to say it's like five, six years ago, but the head of Gettysburg Seminary around Easter time said, Jesus didn't die for your, for your sins. Hmm. And I'm like, um, okay. And he said, you know, that's something that came about with, I don't know, I want to think he said somewhere in the area of the 1100s and, you know. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, he, uh, Aquinas, I think he said, he said, it made it really? up. And I'm going, well, Paul might have a problem with that. But mm-hmm. you know uh, well, they've already they've already erased Paul. You know, they've got oh, official yeah. documentation that says, you know, Paul may or may not be right, but probably not. Or Paul might not have even existed. Somebody else, you know, like a lot of people wrote and just said they were Paul, you mm-hmm. know, because mm-hmm. yeah. And so he said Jesus didn't die for that. Jesus actually just died to identify with your suffering and pain in the world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like great. That's fantastic. I um, and and what's funny is cause we actually do say that that you know in christ became human and identified you know that's like you know once again hebrews you know you do we do not have a god who does not understand you know that Mm -hmm. has has suffered as we have Mm -hmm. um but if that's all he did it's like boy is that useless yeah you know not just solidarity yeah
0: also atonement
1: it's like a guy watching you drown standing there on the side of the river going you know I once struggled in the water once, yeah, it's difficult. I hope it goes well for you, yeah, you know, as you literally go down for the last time, and they're like, yeah, you know it, it it's i in my mind that's the same equivalent, it's like mm-hmm. that is almost worse than useless, yeah, so
0: we read ELCA e- funeral once yeah. this is when I was on vicarage, and um I was like a sister of someone in our congregation, and they omitted the um and he rose from the dead, and oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> I was just flabbergasted and I, I looked to the well, my uh, advisor the yeah. pastor and he's just like he just kind of nodded his head and so afterwards we debriefed and I'm like we they skipped that and he goes yeah there's a lot of ELCA churches that do that why because it's not important that he physically rose and they'll say it was more of a spiritual resurrection right showing that you can also can rise over your challenges and such but take Gnosticism it take it as far reborn as, exactly yeah so to your point all of this returns back to this diversity, which looks, I think this is very helpful, because this diversity, which looks really diverse, and if you look at that, you're like, well, what's the chance that this is the one right one out of 20 different churches? It's like, well, no, it's not actually that complex. You know, you can ask these simple questions, because most of this complexity to the left of us, Mm -hmm. um, most of that complexity starts with, we can take some of Scripture as truth, but not all of it. We have to not only apply human reason, but have human reason just kind of slightly above Scripture, because we need to figure out, whether or not Paul was right whether or not he's that's up to us as humans to figure out so if you think that way then go down that road if you don't think that way you can erase all of that you don't want to go to any of those churches cuz that's what they believe if you believe that scripture is um the infallible word of god that's going to leave you with you know a handful of churches and then you start answering those other questions as
1: well but there's one thing to add to that not just mm-hmm. you know if you feel that way go that way it's and don't me wrong; it's fine to say that. It, I think you just got to add that one extra bit, which I have I have added, which is: if you go down that way, you will literally have no truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. If if you stay in this center spot where Scripture is the inerrant Word of God, there's going to be stuff you're not going to like. There's going to be stuff you're going to struggle with because guess what? You're a sinful schmo like me, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and there's going to be things that scripture's going to say that you shouldn't do that you want to do and all this stuff, or you might not like how something's phrased because it doesn't fit your, your modern sensibilities. Um, but you still can go, it's still true mm-hmm. and it's God's word. I may not like it, but it, it's what God has said. Mm-hmm. If you go the other way, there's literally nothing that you can be sure of. Mm-hmm. Um, did Jesus die? Maybe did Jesus rise from the dead? As you found out, maybe mm-hmm. you know. Well, if Jesus didn't die, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, I'm still stuck in my sin, as Paul, the the evil Paul, mm-hmm. uh, would say. You know, um, and so yeah, I tell him it's like you can go down that way, and you'll hear a lot more what you might want to hear. Your you know your own itching ears want to hear, but you'll never be sure of any of it. It'll- yeah, and how much of an effect does that have on
0: the health of culture and society. And a good example of that's the Nuremberg Trials, right? Which is where they took the uh, I think the Nazis. Nazis who had done war crimes, mm. right? And now they were brought before kind of a collection of the West mm. in basically bringing down proper judgments on on the horrendous actions that these people have done. And there's a chilling moment there where the defense of the of of the Nazi um, generals and such that are that are being tried, basically their case is based on they say there is no objective truth. And you can't say there's an an objective truth. We did what we were told to do. We did what our gen, what my higher up told me to do. So that was, that was what was right in our context. You know, within our situation as generals in war, I was told to go do this and to exterminate this amount of Jews in this situation. Those are my orders given to me by my proper government. And they made that case. And what's interesting was as they tried through that, they had to lean back against, uh, contra what you were just describing, right? That kind of this left-leaning approach has to go with, and they had to go back to there is an objective morality, Mm -hmm. and you can't have that objective morality unless you have some kind of objective source, which, of course, for almost all of human history has been rooted in the divine, in Mm -hmm. God, and for Christians, in the revelation of Scripture, which is the revelation of God.
1: Because otherwise, it's like, yeah, who says? Who says? says? Yeah,
0: I mean, you can say, okay, and, you know, We did these things, but who who are you to say that that's objectively wrong? It was, it seemed the right thing for us to do at the moment when we were trying to do this as Nazis and as Germans, right? And luckily, during those Nuremberg trials, they fell back on objective truth. Now, this was 80 years ago, yeah, or, or probably less than that, maybe you know, 60, 70 years ago. But where would we fall today? And most people walking around do not believe in an objective truth, yeah, yet they will look at the situation like the Nuremberg trials and they say, well, of course, those who are exterminating Jews, they of course should be tried and thrown in jail. But to your point... Of course, they, those people are evil. Yeah, but says who? Says who? You
1: know? Well, and that, if you ever want to not get invited back to teach again, mm-hmm. talk about that. Mm. Uh, I filled in at a school once uh, because they knew I had a teaching background and, mm-hmm. you know, and they said, uh, we're covering the Nazis and we're covering uh, uh, Nuremberg in that area. And I said, Oh, this will be fun. Mm-hmm. And so we did it. And I, and I asked the kids a question. I said, do you think you would have been a Nazi back in the day? You know, or would you, would you have been one of the ones that have stood up? And I just asked him, I said, how many of you would have been a Nazi? And by the way, I kind of, you kind of figure <laughs> nobody's going to be like, I would have been a Nazi. Mm-hmm. Please sign me up for that one. You, you know, and I, all the kids, hundred percent raised their hand saying, no, I wouldn't I'm like, okay. Um, and I was going to come back the next day. I'm like, okay, next day we'll challenge that. And they're mm-hmm. like, what do you mean you're going to challenge that? And they did, because they asked that question after World War II. They said, how did so many people end up doing so much evil? Mm-hmm. Stuff that the rest of us are going, yes, that's obviously evil. Exterminating 6 million people is obviously evil. How did all these people who a lot, of, I mean, might be our relatives, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, the, the, in, in america a lot of the german families were really struggling with at least at the beginning of the war going wait a minute i'm hearing all these great things about hitler from my my family he's getting mm-hmm. the trains running again he's getting the economy up and running all these stuff it's like what do you mean and they're like you know so you know how did all these people who were good people they, mm-hmm. they thought yep. you know turn out to do such bad things and so they did some different studies and some of them were uh i don't know if you could actually do these nowadays um one of them was, uh, they had a person who, uh, was going to ask questions of another person on the other. It was like on, on the other side of a the glass. They yes, had him in a chair. Yes. You've heard this one? Yeah. Uh, they had him on, in a chair on the other side of the glass and they had him strapped into the chair. And every time the person got, they'd ask him the person that they were testing on, uh, they'd ask a question to the other person. And if they got it wrong, they had to hit a button that would give them an electric shock. And they were ordered by the, 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 person running the experiment to push the button Mm -hmm. and as the got more questions wrong the shocks were supposed to quote-unquote get it progressively worse it was just an actor on the other side Mm -hmm. and they basically found that even though this person was literally screaming in quote-unquote agony and begging the person to not hit the button again if the person, like I want to say, seventy-five percent of the group mm. would hit the button. If the if the person running the experiment next to them said hit it, because it it, it they felt that if a person in authority told them to do it, they had no responsibility in it. Mm-hmm. And so, and it was interesting because there was that, and there was another study done um, where they had uh, three lines, and they had two of them were the same length, and one was a different length. And they had – they'd have the people come in. Only one person was the one being experimented on. All the rest in the classroom were actors. Mm -hmm. And they would ask the first couple and they'd say, okay, which line is the same length, you know? And um, after – like they'd answer all of them correct for like the first four or five. Mm -hmm. And then they'd come to this one that was obviously wrong. There were these two that were the same. A and C were equal. It's not A and B. And the rest of the class was told, that the actors mm-hmm. were told to say it's A and B when it's A and C. And I think it's something like, once again, about 75 to 80% of the people, when all the rest of the people were saying something that was obviously wrong, but they did not want to be on the outside, uh, would actually go along with the crowd and say, yep, it's, it, even though they knew it was obviously wrong, they would go wrong with everybody else. And they found also that the, the change, the amount that people were willing to go along with it escalated as more people were in the classroom. Mm. If it was just one on one, they would assume the person sitting next to them was a moron. Um, if it was one on two, they would usually still be like, well, eh. but once it got to like three, four, five, six, seven and eight, it just got to the point where it was almost everybody was agreeing with the obviously wrong answer. Mm. Those are
0: two chilling
1: studies, experiments. Absolutely. And so that's, yeah, that's how I got asked not to come back because I basically called the kids a bunch of Nazis. Yeah. So, (laughs) or he said, basically, there's a good chance you would have, I mean, because I, I, you know, we showed that, that if somebody was told enough by authority, which Mm -hmm. that was the Nuremberg argument, uh, that other experiment showed that, you know, if you're in the minority and you'll go along, you know, the vast majority of you would go along with this, Mm um, well, that's, I mean, that's a, we were talking about Exodus before we started recording.
0: That's an Exodus theme, right? And it's not just an Exodus theme. It goes through the Bible. Like, that's teaching you about human nature. That if you're you look, an evil schmo. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but that it's always the outlier that does the good. Hmm? And it's only the outliers that ever do the good that help save society, you know? And if you think about the Exodus narrative, God calls Moses, but what is all of Israel doing? All of Israel is constantly just, what's the response? Moses, just stop. Moses, just stop. Moses, just stop. Moses, just stop there's always the outlier that is doing God's work. And you can see that over and over again, right? I mean, you can go to Sodom and Gomorrah, right? I mean, that's the, are Job. there 10, you know? No, Job. Yeah.
1: Well, sorry, said not Job. Job? Sorry, uh, sorry, not Job. Um, One of the other J's. Yeah. Joseph. Jonah, I apologize. Uh, Joseph, <laughs> Jacob. Keep rolling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: But, um, well, yeah. How about the spies that go into mm-hmm. Jericho, right? And you've got Caleb and Joshua, right? So there's, Doing, doing the good is the minority. No. The majority is going with the flow, even when it becomes absolutely horrendous. And to your point, those studies show that's not just some kind of biblical principle that's lost in the past. That's absolutely present. That's modern history with the Nazis in Germany, um, with the Communist Party in uh, China, with uh, Leninism in Russia, with even fascism in uh, Italy, over and over again. It's, it's the exact same formula. So then you stop and you ask a room full of sixth graders or whatever classroom, you know, and, and you ask yourself, are you in that very strong minority or are you in the strong majority? And to your original point, if you remove the authority of something like scripture, calling you to a goodness that is radically different than what everyone around you is saying, if you've removed that, you've probably removed any percentage chance that you will be part of the good. You will always be part of the masses. And that's where these church bodies that have said, we'll use reason over scripture, and what they're really allowing is, Culture is just going to influence scripture, which means every time culture goes wrong, we're going to go wrong too. Yep. And everybody that sits in our pews has a 0% chance for an outside voice, which is the voice of God, to reach them. Only churches that say, this is the word of God, and the word of God says something contra what everyone else is thinking, then the second question is, are you ready to answer that call? Yeah.
1: Well, and that answer, that experiment, all those experiments, to be honest, are taking place right now in our own culture. You know, if you're, you know, we've talked about that transgender stuff, you know, different mm-hmm. things. Right now, I'm when I talk to my students, my younger generation, and they're talking about what they're experiencing with their friends and with culture and with sometimes just in it, literally in the classroom is it's like, yeah, by the way, you know, that girl over there, that has been a girl this whole time. She's decided she's a boy. Now you have to call her a boy. You have to agree with this. Mm. And even though they're like, but she's not a boy. It's the line experiment, right? Yeah. It's like, it's, but it's not a boy. It's like, I can obviously see an Adam's a- or <laughs> apple or not. I can't see an Adam's <laughs> apple. I there's, there's other things that don't fit being a boy over there. Yeah. And it's like, but they're like, but you agree it's a boy, right? You know? And, you know, and, the, and those and the, numbers line up, right? I mean, most classrooms, 75%. And the yeah. kids look around and they're like, and, and, they start to wonder, am I the crazy one? Cause everybody else says that's a boy. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, they start to wonder that.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah. So, would you say then that scripture is one of the the prime ways to fight back against that? Because that's that's a chilling. Those are chilling studies. That's a chilling reality. Mm-hmm. That's a chilling issue for personal lives, for family lives, for community lives, and for countries as a whole. Um, would you
1: say scripture
0: is the the, the prime I thing that's going to push way. back against yeah. that? I, yeah. I, you
1: know, because you're dealing with what is your and don't, don't be wrong. I think there's good arguments in other ways too. just using biology, at least mm-hmm. in that one, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of good. Uh, but I think what's nice about scripture is one, we're saying this is God's word. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the great thing about scripture is it realizes who we are. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, obviously, cause it's God who made us and created us and, you know, was there through the fall and understands who we are at our core. Um, and when you've got a god's word that understands who you are even though you might not like it if you're being honest with yourself you have to admit it's true mm-hmm. you know the idea of you know are we technically good at heart and i always love that argument when people come in they're like well we're we're basically good i'm like really you sure mm-hmm. you know it's like yeah we're, we're born good and i'm like okay did and a lot of times they're parents and i go did you have to teach your kid to lie the first time you caught your kid with their hand in the candy jar did you know did they just fess up? Yeah. I took the the, the cookies or whatever it was. Um, I just watched the I'm sure it was a TikTok, but I saw it on Instagram. It's this little girl. She's just, she's her whole face is just <laughs> covered in chocolate. And he's like, Did you eat chocolate? No. I'm like, well, what did you do? Well, I um um I, I went and ate ramen noodles. Ramen noodles. <laughs> and she's like, and you and it got all over my face. And he's like, and you cleaned your face with chocolate? Yes. Yes, I did. I cleaned my face with chaga. And you're like, okay. It's hilarious. Yeah. But the same token, that's just our human nature. And I think if we actually are honest with ourselves, we look and go, okay, scripture is honest about who we are. Mm-hmm. It's honest about, you know, what the truth is inside, even if we don't want to admit it. Mm-hmm. And when you see that and you see, okay, this is God's word. This is what's going to be con- consistent through whether you're a two-year-old or whether you're 98. Mm-hmm. And that truth is going to be true all the way through. And it's not going to change. You're going to watch your culture change. You're going to watch people tell you, you know, I mean, if somebody would have said, um, I just watched it. It was another clip that popped up the other day. It was uh, Prager on uh, uh, Bill Bill Maher. Yeah. And Prager was saying in just a little while, we're going to have people saying that uh, going back to that trans thing that, you know, guys can be girls and girls can be guys. And Bill Maher just openly mocks him. I mean, the whole group is just openly mocking him. And, you know, in just, so in just 10 years, mm-hmm. you see this change of, you know, you know what is true, what is right. And in that same amount of time, scripture has stayed the same on what is true and what is right. Mm-hmm. And not just because we're too lazy to change it, mm-hmm. but because it's actually true and its source. Mm-hmm. So, and I think when I'm talking to people about truth and about these different things, having scripture is that, because otherwise you get Pilate's question, what is truth? Mm -hmm. And you get that cultural question of, well, that's your truth. Um, And when you have scripture, it's like, no, this is God's truth. Yeah. Now they might not agree with that and they might think you're crazy, Mm -hmm. but I think I have found that a lot of people leave a conversation like that going, I can't believe, you know, they're, yeah." but one of two things I usually find one Sometimes they come back to that conversation because they're they want that truth. Mm-hmm. They want something that is solid. They want something that's not constantly shifting under their feet. They like the fact that they're not constantly trying to worry about should I say that or is that the in thing to say right now? Or yeah. is there, you know, there's that. And even for those that refuse to believe and, you know, constantly keep pushing back, there's a jealousy mm-hmm. in it. They're like, I don't believe it but boy, do I wish I did. Yeah. You know, I, I want to. And so I actually think that's great because even if they don't believe it, you're like, keep, keep being jealous. Mm-hmm. Keep thinking about that. Yeah. Keep, you know, keep pushing. That's, so. that's the
0: first step, I think. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you find someone that's not interested. You're not, I mean, you're not going to tell them anything. You can give your best pitch or whatever, your elevator pitch or whatever. They're, they're they don't want to learn more about it. It's when people start asking questions then then their interest is peaked. And then they're willing to wrestle with those those answers. And that's always where you start to see some good momentum and movement. Mm-hmm. And the further culture goes in this kind of shifting sand approach, I think the more people start to ask those questions of, okay, what are some of these things around that haven't changed? Because this is changing too much. And that's where Christianity and, and those Christians who haven't shifted with the culture,
1: now all of a sudden they have a voice that people are willing to listen to and interested to hear from. Mm-hmm. And what you were talking about earlier with the uh, differences in denominations when they said you can you can go that way mm-hmm. but just so you know this is what ends up that way and i think one of the biggest things that i've seen as a attraction to christianity recently is this idea of, you can go that way that you're heading mm-hmm. but do you realize why there is anxiety is going through the roof yeah, depression yeah. is going through the roof all these things are going through the roof and to that the only thing that your doctor whatever it is, is going to be able to say is here's a pill or just forget about it you know mm-hmm. the, you know or try to ignore it or a thousand one other things in this book you know when you talk you know holding scripture he is like in this book i can show you the one who created you i can mm-hmm. show you why you've got all these problems maybe not the exact reason but it's like you know that sinful nature that is inside of you that is inside of all of us humans I can show you a God who cared enough about you to give you truth. Mm-hmm. I can show you a God that cared enough about you to send himself to go into your mess yeah. um, and has saved you. And can, you know, you go, you can point to some people. I, I've done this before. It's like, do you, remember, you met that other person the other day? Did you know that that person lost their husband and their dad and this, this, and then also lost their job and this and all these things in mm-hmm. one, in one month. Mm-hmm. And they're going, no, how are they still standing? And you can go. That truth that I've been telling you about that doesn't change, mm. because in the midst of all of their chaos, they had this solid foundation of a God that walked with them, that saved them, that forgave them, mm-hmm. and did all this cool stuff that they're they're holding on too tight right now. Yeah. He's like, trust me, life sucks <laughs> for them right now. It's horrible, yeah. and I wouldn't trade it my life for theirs for anything. But they're still standing. Yeah, not because they're awesome, but because that Savior is, and it's kind of interesting. Even I've, I've had so many conversations where I've seen people. I wish I could say every single time it's like, I believe this is it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you see the, you see the wheels turning yet and you see that discussion. I think so often that's the key is just keep at that discussion. Keep it mm-hmm. that, keep pointing back to that truth. That solid foundation. Like, yeah. So
0: I want to go two avenues with that. One, one of the other areas that I think we get a lot of questions for, and I think you can speak to this and you you've started to go in that direction a little bit. Um, is dealing with the kind of the problem of evil, right? So if, if God is good, why do I see all of this suffering? How does Christianity explain the existence of evil? I'm just going through a couple of these questions that we have because they kind of weave together. Uh, how do Christians deal with doubts about their faith? Um, so you've got kind of those categories of questions. Also, I know that story is a big thing for you, right? And you kind of hint, hinted towards that, I think, in that you're telling these stories of, you know, this person over here, they've got a story, And their story includes a lot of suffering, not that far in their past, but also now look at what their present day story is. And their story is they might be wounded, but they're not killed, right? Why is that the case? So maybe, maybe. Crushed but not defeated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Maybe let's, let's go with the problem of evil, right? People ask, good God, I see this suffering. How do I make sense of this, right? How, How do you go about that?
1: I just tell them God hates you. (laughs) (laughs) No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, actually that is kind of a fun way to it would start. be fun to just it, see how someone responds it, that, believe right? it or not i actually do start that way sometime just to see what the reaction is and it's yeah. like you know just to have some fun with them um but uh i think the key is to go because a lot of people think this is how god created it to be mm-hmm. you know because they start with this idea this is the way it is therefore this is the way it always has been and this is the way if there is a god this is the way god made it mm-hmm. he made it as in kind of this dual uh, you know, kind of yin-yang, good, evil, battle kind of thing. Uh, that's the way it's always been. And I think the key is to start with Genesis, mm-hmm. that idea of this isn't the way God made it, nor is this the way God wants it to be. Um, God created this world perfect. It's our sin, our mistakes that, that, that have brought sin into this world, and that has brought pain, suffering, death, all the bad things that you're upset about was brought in because of our sin. Um, and I said, the idea. This is not God's desire for this world, mm-hmm. uh, nor your life, or what's going on. Um, and so we. I think that's the key to start with. And it's interesting. I, I, I'm amazed how many people go really. Uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that didn't even cross their mind. The idea of – gen, like, they just don't know the story of Genesis. Or if they do, they only know the argument about is a day a day, that kind of thing. Or is is it evolution or is it, you know, creation? That's the only thing they really know about the beginning of Genesis. And they miss the whole fact that the whole idea of Scripture is built on what happens in those first chapters of Genesis. Yeah. Without without a perfect world – that falls into chaos and sin and pain and suffering what was the purpose of you know why do we have this problem is Mm -hmm. it other you know it's like this is this is where we find out where this problem comes from this is where we find that 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 idea of where all the the issues come from Mm -hmm. um and so starting there i'm amazed how many people go oh okay and there's kind of that shock yeah and from there I go, well, and then there's all sorts of reasons for pain and suffering. And I think, I think it's C.S. Lewis. I think you said you know a little C.S. Lewis. You can tell me if it That's, was him yeah. or not. That's my doctorate's degree. No, oh, okay. I don't have a doctorate degree. That's <laughs> <laughs> where you're heading. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, was it the three types, you know, the idea that there is um just that idea mm-hmm. of this, this world is broken and therefore bad things happen, mm-hmm. such as, you know. Yeah, you know, the trilemma, I think it is. Is, is that what um, it is? Yeah. The idea of um, that, you know, there's this broken world. Sorry, go on. Yeah. No, good. Yeah. Uh, there's the broken world, such as, okay, hurricanes, mm-hmm. uh, tornadoes, tsunamis, that kind of stuff. Just, it isn't because you did anything or anybody did anything. It's not like I stole a candy bar today, therefore God sent a tornado toward the house, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Real quick, I misspoke. That wasn't the trilemma. No. That's something else he does. But anyway, keep going. Sounded good to me. Sounded good. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that was good. I was like, yeah, sure. Ben the
0: over there fact checking me. It's
1: yeah. <laughs> <He's laughs> like, no, you are wrong. <laughs> and then the other two and then and like I said there, there's other ways to look at this but I found this was one that when you're talking to somebody seems to make sense. Yeah. They don't like that 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 first one or third one I often hear that one being the third one but mm-hmm. they don't like it but it's like okay yeah no nobody caused it. And I said the other two are sin that is, or pain and suffering caused by other people. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. A school shooter comes in. Those kids didn't do anything specifically to – now, were they all sinful human beings? Absolutely. And we all deserve pain, death, and all this stuff. But did they – did they deserve it? Did they get it because they were worse people than you were? Right. No. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so the parent that abused you, the, you know, the spouse that cheated on you, um, the boss that makes your life a living hell. Mm -hmm. uh, You know, those are the pain and suffering caused by people because, well – God gives us that free, in this, he gives us free will Mm -hmm. to make those choices of how we're going to live. Are you going to, you know, treat your employee good today or are you going to treat them like dirt? Yeah. And then lastly, and this is the one nobody likes to hear, your own sin. Yeah. You know, um, know, the things we do wrong often cause our own pain and suffering. Now, we don't like to hear that and we like to say it wasn't our fault. Yeah. Um, But in the end, you know, the guy that cheats on his wife and the family falls apart. Mhm. Well, I think that that's helpful. One one way I've thought it that kind of rhymes
0: with this in some ways is I think of it in this this three category as well. And I it's you, these are the three main pushbacks I usually get against God. And the first one will be um how can a God allow things like let's say the flood or let's say Israel go in and destroy Jericho, right? Okay, let's just table that one. Second one is I don't like a God that tells me what to do. Right? So, okay. Don't like a God that tells me what to do. Don't like it when things get really bad and then God decides to destroy it. And then what about all of this suffering, right? Why did God allow the Nazis to do that to the Jews, right? So they, they struggle with those things and they all fall under that category. But if you look, those three are all interconnected, right? Yeah. When did God step in and stop a group like the Nazis from destroying the Jews? Well, how about when the flood came or how about when Israel went in and destroyed the These pagan nations that were operating like the Nazis except far worse than the Nazis. Okay. So they did God did that and you yelled at him. Mm. God didn't do it and you yelled at him. Mm. And then God tells you what to do and you say, Don't want any of that. And then you go off and you do the very things that are harming (laughs) the world. So it's like you can't can't yell at God in all three. Yeah. If you want God to end all suffering, he's got to stop you from sinning ever. Mm. Right. And he's got to strike down the person who does sin immediately. But
1: so point being we kind of kick against God in three ways, but it makes no logical sense. Oh yeah. And that's a one of the things that is good to sh- point out to people is this idea. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. Um, which by the way, I finally found out how, what it, that never made any sense to me. I'm like, of well, <laughs> course you can't have your cake and eat it too. But the, uh, and finally somebody explained it to me better. And I was like, Oh, okay. The idea that I want to keep my cake, And eat it as well. I want to be able to, yeah, I want to have this nice, beautiful cake. I want to eat it because I want it because it's delicious, Mm -hmm. but I also don't want to lose any of it. I want it in my future. Yes. Okay. I I don't want to, I want to have just as much cake as I did before, but I also want to eat that cake. So it's like, you can't have both. Either you got to eat it or you can keep it, but you can't have both things. I was like, that makes so much sense. I never. This podcast is like Proverbs, just wisdom from all. (laughs) (laughs) From from everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) The squirrel. Yeah. Um... (laughs) (laughs) Um, but sorry, I'm gonna mm-hmm. uh, th- Yes, yeah. Uh, but the idea is that you can either have a god who controls every action you do, mm-hmm. and you're his robot, and therefore there will be no pain because, and there would also never have been a fall into sin, and there would have been all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you can have a god that allows you to do actions, mm-hmm. you know, and in those actions you will. You know, or, and other people will do evil things. You can't have both. You can't have God that is going to control everything you do so there's no sin and pain and suffering mm-hmm. and have any free will whatsoever. Yeah. And that gets to be a, you know, and, th- and at that point they're like, fine. fine. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I, yeah, they, they do see, often will at least see that the problem comes in. Yeah. You know.
0: And you can see where it also makes kind of logical sense to where the highest good comes in coordination with free will. Yes. Right. Like Certainly a human being is a higher, uh, a higher good than a computer. A human being has free will, right? So a human being can love, a human being can sub-create, all of these types of things. I mean, plug in AI with sub-creation, that's a little bit different. But um, So you can see how God creating a world without pain and without free will, even just to our eyes, looks like a world that would not be as good. Mm-hmm. So God, we we're going to say, is going to create the best world. Which means that there's got to be this free will. There has to be this opportunity to sin, and therefore, hence, here's the problem of mm-hmm. suffering. And then the answer, of course, is going to come through the cross, which you you've touched on before, too, how that that right that that gives the ultimate answer to where God's not distant from suffering, mm-hmm. um, and He also brings healing to suffering, and He does not destroy the free will.
1: Yep, and also gives you at least some Im- some inkling into. If all you saw was the suffering, you could come to the conclusion that God is vindictive mm-hmm. and God is just downright mean. Um, when you see Christ, and this is the, there's other places in scripture you can see God's heart, but I think mm. in Christ it is the ultimate example and the ultimate um, you have a God who is willing to go into that suffering for you to suffer like you have. Who under, actually understands your suffering? It's not just sympathy, where he goes, that probably stinks. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't think I'd want to do that. It's empathy, where he's like, I have experienced that. I have gone through that, and also and and willing to take on the ultimate suffering in all humanity, uh, the suffering that nobody else has ever experienced mm-hmm. beyond, beyond anything that anybody could even imagine, that being uh, disowned by the father. That's something that you know, even the most. Um, Atheistic person in this world has still never experienced that complete absence of God. Mm -hmm. Um, And he is willing, you know, he he has gone through all that for you. And so now you have a God who, a God that loves you that much, even though you don't understand what's going on, Mm -hmm. is not out to get you. He is not out to destroy you. You may not understand it. You may not like it. Yeah. But you can at least go, you can look to the cross and go, if God is willing to go that far to save me, if he is willing to do that, if he's willing to give up the glories of heaven to be born in a place without modern bathrooms and modern dentistry, uh, you know, yeah. it, you know, it's like not just the fact that he came to earth. It's like and no had, pain meds, right? Yeah, no like pain, meds, the pain meds we have today. You know, no you know, no cell phones, no mm-hmm. nothing. Uh, you know, yeah, it's like it's like Jesus was to come back. It's like, wouldn't have been easier to come back when you, at least if you got a cavity, you get Novocaine, you yes. know? Um, but the, uh, well, I sorry. think C, CS Lewis says, uh, he says
0: it's amazing because, uh, the problem of evil and stuff so, are the problem of pain mm-hmm. has never been documented as like a, a formal issue that the church ever had to deal with. So in other words, people weren't walking away from the faith in the 1500s, 1200s, 900s, 800s, 400s because they were having a problem with the suffering in the world, and they couldn't reconcile that with a good and loving God. That was never an issue until very recently. And so Lewis points out in his book, The Problem of Pain, he says, uh, it it does amaze me that the people who have the most problem with pain are the people who have had um, all of modern medicine and all of modern um, uh, pain medication, Mm -hmm. right? So like when we go in for a surgery, like we're knocked out, and then we're on pain meds for two weeks, right? When these people went in for surgeries, which they would have to here's a stick bite on this here's a stick here's a little (laughs) bit of whiskey like here we go right and those people who understood pain far greater than we did they watched people die in their homes they watched masses of people die over and over again in both wars and in you know in real um what's it called disease da 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 uh when that spreads pandemics pandemics, right like those things that would black
1: black death Yeah, yeah i mean they would look at that and they, they didn't blink at still believing in God. So it, it is interesting. There is a great book. I just got done with it. It is, in my opinion, one of the best books, Christian books I've ever read. Mm-hmm. Uh, Timothy Keller's um, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. Oh, uh, yeah. It is phenomenal. And one of the interesting things he talks about is he actually goes through the different um, – ways that religion in the world has tried to solve the problem of pain mm-hmm. uh, he does uh, moralism uh dualism uh transcendent you know the buddhist kind of idea um and he also does fate, fatalism and mm-hmm. those kind of things and then he says however now in our modern world where it's this atheist idea that there is no there is no greater power it's just what we see you know and in that, all these other ones, at least, even if we don't agree with them, mm-hmm. they can they try to say, okay, through pain and suffering, you grew, or you're, you know, you're working toward your own fate. This is part of your fate, so just deal with it manual, manually, yeah. you know, that kind yeah. of thing, and all these different things that created virtue through that pain. Yeah, in the modern understanding of pain, there is no purpose. Mm. It's just evil. It's there's no purpose to it. There's no. You know, we can talk about pain and, and it's still part of sin and all these things, but God will use all things to, for those, for the good of those who love him. Mm-hmm. He will even take that bad thing that is evil mm-hmm. and not to sugarcoat it, but he will still use that for your good and the good of others and other, you know, mm-hmm. because he is God and all powerful, all knowing and will do that. But without that, pain has no purpose. And the only thing you can, and, 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 and the worst about it is it, interferes with what the modern idea of the ultimate good is and that is your own pleasure and your own ease Mm -hmm. and so it's it it because it's your own pleasure and your own ease is the ultimate thing pain is yeah it's worthless and you just need to ignore it you need to hide it you need to you know just get rid of it and and you know cover it up in any way you possibly can yeah i want to
0: explore that through because you've you've been you're not just speaking about this as somebody who's um you know read a couple textbooks which you have right but you're actually speaking about they made this me someone seminary, who had yeah. to yeah who had to wrestle with this right with some of your own situation so I want to hear a little bit about that but I do have to run to the restroom real quick so let's pause and then come back and I want to hear about that I like that yes all right and we're back um so I break you were just telling me a story about somebody in your congregation um so if you want to jump in and tell that story this
1: yeah. this sounds very interesting and I'm I'm just so everybody's knows that this is a testimony that he's given multiple times it's not like i'm like just sharing some kind of like private you know, information. private information yeah. here he's given this testimony at church and in many places mm-hmm. um i've got a memory he's my head held el- head elder uh named paul traub and paul was at home one night i want to say it's about 12 years ago and somebody broke into his house and um he confronted the individual with the hope of You know, why don't you just go away and Mm -hmm. I'll wait a minute to call the cops. You go away and everybody walks away okay. Um, And the guy's talking to him and Paul thinks that he's getting somewhere with the guy. And But the only reason he's getting anywhere with the guy is because he was distracting Paul because he wasn't Mm -hmm. alone. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was distracting Paul so his partner could get behind him. And he came up and stabbed him in the head and then i I don't remember how many times the guy ultimately stabbed him but it was multiple um and then they lit the house on fire to try to get rid of any evidence thinking they had killed him uh or even if they didn't think he had killed him they figured the fire would finally get him uh he wakes up and he you know you know, probably not understanding completely what's going on, but he's like, I got to get out of here. And he was in a duplex. So he get, gets out, he goes over to the next door neighbor, which I can't even imagine what that was like waking up in the middle of the night, going to the door and seeing your next door neighbor just covered in blood and, mm-hmm. you know, going, get out of the house, you know, that kind of thing. So they've got the neighbors out. Um, and he actually was part of finding and, uh, catching and, and, convicting those individuals. Wow and then uh the great so he, thing so he survived yep he survived Was this a close call was this um you know i've never had, that's a great question i've not right. asked him how close to death he was i mean i've seen the pictures of him and he doesn't oh, i don't want to say you look like you death you know that's <laughs> not something you really yeah, want to tell people but he yeah. did look quite bad he had multiple stab wounds wow uh and, and his head and yeah, all like through around up here and uh and there was smoke inhalation from the fire and just all that kind of stuff. So he's made, you would never know now seeing him, uh, he's, you know, looks like Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, he, uh, the interesting thing from him is his story of one, you know, working with the police and all that, uh, but also his spiritual journey in it. Mm. Um, talking about one, being able to forgive, you know, these people that literally it, not many of us can say somebody has tried to burn us alive, Mm -hmm. you know, and to get to that point where you can try to forgive them, uh, but also work with the police, you know, is this idea of, okay, how do you still get, you know, help try to find justice, but at the same token, not do it in a vengeful way because you've been able to forgive what they did. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, you know, he, he's talked about you because he didn't want this to happen to other people, that kind of stuff. You know, if he just lets it go, well, these people are going to continue doing what they're doing and that kind of stuff. So he, um, uh, when you talk about evil, there's a lot of it out there. Mm-hmm. So. Wow. Yeah. So what, what are some of the points that he kind of brings
0: forth as he talks about what, what his experience was like, right? What he had to process, mm-hmm. how difficult that must be to forgive. Cause the first instinct has to be, you know, who the heck are these clowns? Yeah. Right. And like, what are they doing? You know, such, those are horrendous mm-hmm. actions. Right. So I mean, hatred seems like the first natural emotion, but he was able to, yeah.
1: To the, table that the the best thing he's told me and I, and I haven't gotten we've we've had multiple conversations about this and the thing that has always stuck with me was and we just talk about faith and in, in with evil and that kind of thing was he said he was laying there and he was just bleeding and just in agony and he said the fire was going and he's like this is it I'm done I'm going to die and he says and the the thing that always catches me every time he says it because it it's the way he says it mm-hmm. you know there's just certain people when they say things. You, you just, yeah, it's true. You just see the, the, the reality of it in them and how they say it. Mm-hmm. And he says, I was good with that. Hmm. I'm laying there in my own blood. I'm I'm bleeding out. Uh, my house is on fire, <laughs> you know. And, you know, stabbed by two guys who came in to get a TV maybe or something like that, you know, just yeah. a random useless murder. He's like, I'm going to die like this. I'm going to die by myself. And I'm okay with that. Hmm. And the, the reason he says that, and he says, it's, I knew where I was going. I knew who, I knew that my Lord was with me even in those moments, hmm. that even in that fire, he was standing by my side. And he said, I know, you know, he's like, I, he's like, it is the Sunday school answer, Jesus, you know, that, but, mm-hmm. he, but he, I knew that I was forgiven. And so, yeah, it's, this is not good right now. And he's like, you know, fires all around and, you know, he's bleeding, but he's like, I know where I'm going. And you know, he said that gave him a comfort that even in the midst, literally in the middle of a fire, he had peace. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, that's the thing that always sticks out to me is that you know, in the midst of that pain and suffering, in the midst of that evil, and like we were saying er- earlier, sometimes evil just happens, you know, and that and it comes from other people randomly at times too. This was completely that uh, he had never met these guys, never, you know you know, cross paths with them to the point that at least that he knew. Um, and it was just this random evil that was done to him by somebody else. Um, but in the midst of it, he had peace and Mm -hmm. so he was able to move forward. And then, um, as far as I'm, I, he's never actually talked about it, but I'd be, it'd be actually a very good question to ask is how long did it take to get through the trauma of that, Mm -hmm. to be able to start moving toward forgiveness? Mm -hmm. um, because he talks about how he 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 ultimately got to that point of forgiveness, but it'd be interesting to see how long that took to to work through that, to even just kind of realize. I mean, I'm sure you've had things happen that you didn't expect, and for a while, it just takes a while to realize what's actually happened. Mm-hmm. What does this mean for me? What does this mean for my life? And it takes when you don't expect it, and it's huge, like being stabbed in the head and lit on fire. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, when it's huge like that, and it also has to mess with your security. Mm-hmm. You know, he was in his house, you know, he had the, everything was locked. Um, So in those instances, what, how long did it take to get to the point where you could actually understand what happened and move toward forgiveness? But uh, from what he has said, because of that faith, it, the, even moving to forgiveness didn't take as long as he thought it would mm-hmm. uh, because um, even in the, when, when he felt God in that moment, felt God in that struggle um it's one thing to have that uh theoretical understanding of god it's another when god touches that your life yeah and it just makes it that much more real It doesn't mean it wasn't real before mm-hmm. it just makes it you, you i think you understand it better yeah. and um i think anybody that's gone through those kind of experiences and those stories um can, you know, it, it strengthens that faith. It strengthens them. And I think that's, if I think if you would have asked him, could I forgive somebody that had stabbed, almost stabbed me to death and lit me on fire? Um, I think he'd be like, well, I think I'd really struggle with that. Mm-hmm. But having gone through it and having had God's presence in the midst of that fire, I think it made it easier for him to forgive because it, became that much more real for him, that mm-hmm. forgiveness, that love, that trust. what did that forgiveness do for him mm-hmm. in the midst of, I'm going to die. He was, Oh, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, just, and what I love when I hear him tell the story is how flippantly he just says, yep, I'm good. Yeah. You know, it's not like I really struggle. It's like, no, nope, I just, I'm good. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Sometimes those big
0: things are quite simple, right? Mm-hmm. Peace in the chaos. It just, it's there.
1: And it becomes so much more, I don't like using the word real, but it's when everything in your head says this is not the way things should be. Mm -hmm. And it is that way. You're like, you're like, you know, I should not have peace now. I should not have comfort now. I should not be calm now. I should be freaking out. I should be all these things you would expect in those instances. And instead, you have this peace. I'm going to steal a line. Pass surpasses understanding, mm-hmm. you know, somebody said that somewhere. I don't That's know, right, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, uh, and suddenly you have that. It's like, wow. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and I think that is if I was to put anything that helped him forgive, it was that piece mm-hmm. that he's like in that moment, he realized how much Christ and Christ's forgiveness changed him and meant for him in that moment that he thought was his last. Mm-hmm. Suddenly it's like, oh. And God has called me to forgive. Yeah. You know, so that they can have possibly
0: the same peace that I had. Absolutely. Cause if not, they're, they're going to go through way worse than even I went through because he's laying there mm-hmm. in peace. And I'm sure there's some physical trauma and such, right. <laughs> but not to minimize that, but mm-hmm. if he has peace in that, certainly for these individuals, whatever they're going to go through, whether they get mm-hmm. caught or not, and they're just living with the guilt, they're going to be going through anxiety and, you know, the antithesis of peace to a much greater degree then Paul went through Paul right
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah yeah. So do you do you find any? Let's pivot over to your story. Do you find any overlap? Not the same. You've not been stabbed in the head. Thankfully, correct? no, no, no. House uh, has never not, been
1: set on fire. Nope. no. Nope. Oh. I've set a few things on fire by accident, usually, but that's <laughs> you know yeah. the uh, um, no. Uh, my own story, at least when it comes to you know evil in the world or experiencing pain, and um, I want to say I was thirty six. And I started, you know, it was kind of the, you know, warning to those listings and, you know, uh, finding a urine in my blood and, or not much blood in your blood your in my urine. that's <laughs> it's like, well, I suppose they're mixed. It yeah. doesn't really matter. But when, you know, it, the, the, I still remember the first time where you just go to the, the restroom and, you know, suddenly it's like, okay, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And we're not talking like, okay, your urine's slightly reddish or pinkish. Mm-hmm. It was like you were, it, it was like you were just urinating pure blood. Yeah and can, can i tell a quick story before I yeah sure fire away okay. man yeah
0: go so um so i had something similar and completely unsimilar okay happened to me once so one, now you have me intrigued yeah so i i did a uh i was uh, doing a lot of cycling at the time training for some races and i went for like a three-hour ride mm-hmm. and came back and urinated and it was red so i'm panicking right i'm far more panicked than you i'm kind of a baby when it comes to these things so i'm like i'm panicking and call my wife up she's i think she was working at the time she's like I don't know, like, if you want, go ahead and go to the merchant, you know. So I went down to the urgent care, and so they, they, like, run in the test, and they're like, there's nothing abnormal. I'm like, trust me, like, it's red. <laughs> like, And so, turns out I had eaten enough beets that, that it soaked my entire inside, because I would juice beets, and then I had, like, a beet salad that night, and I had leftovers for lunch, so I ate it, like, right before. It's so I had beets, yeah. I had a lot of beets, and that's all it was, was just everything was tainted red from all the beats so similar but <laughs> but, but also not but, still
1: an, but you get the understanding of this is not normal that's a, this a, yeah is not that's okay. a panic yeah yeah because it's
0: that's not supposed to be in that area
1: yeah no yeah that's not, <laughs> the yeah. urine
0: and the blood are supposed to be separate
1: yeah i still can't use those trough bathrooms anymore yeah it's like those trough urinals it's <laughs> just gonna it's not going to happen yeah and it's just like you know it's nothing like everybody is standing there going ah yeah <laughs> the uh <laughs> Sorry, completely different idea. Um, But yeah, just well, right? Because the whole thing, right? Yeah, it's just gonna red sea all of a sudden. Everyone's panicking. It's like somebody's got a problem. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I still actually won't even to this day, even though I've you know had surgery remove it. It's still just like, well, it could come back. You never know. And I ain't doing that. Gonna scare the whole Minnesota Vikings football crowd. Exactly. It's like (laughs) I'm the guy waiting for the stall now, just to go. You know, just to urinate. Mm -hmm. Um. The. uh, yeah, so that happened, and I did what every good and logical person does. First, nothing. Uh, went back to watch on TV or doing whatever it was going. That was odd. Um, and then later on, when I'm like, no, nah, I should actually look into this, mm-hmm. um, I did what everybody does, and I web would it. And it's like, well, you could have a urinary tract infection. You could have this. And then at the very bottom with everything I mean, you got a hangnail WebMD md will put it the last thing it could be cancer <laughs> and you're yeah. like okay so um i did decide finally to go into the doctor but by the time i had gotten to the doctor they do the urine test and they're like there's no blood in your urine but you know like okay i'm like maybe it's just some fluke weird thing you know whatever went along a few months later happened again went into the doctor again they're like there's You know, by the time I'd gotten in it, by the time I got into the doctor, I always gave, you know, it was normal. Mm -hmm. You know, urine was normal. And they're like, I think you're imagining it. I'm like, I'm not imagining it. It's like peeing blood. It's just, it's like, it's pure red. It's not pink. It's not like slightly less yellow. It's pure red. It's just, it's blood. It's viscous, the whole thing. I'm like, I can describe it to you really well. And they're like, yeah, you might've imagined. And there's a couple of times I wanted to go over the desk at doctors going, no, I'm not (laughs) imagining this. Yeah. And they're like, well, it's just not in there. I'm like, okay, and so because that's just the problem. You get you you get your um, you get your appointment with the doctor. It's going to be a week or two till you get in, mm-hmm. and so that was the problem. Every time is what it turned out is the tumor was bleeding, but by the time I would get in, the tumor had stopped bleeding, so mm-hmm. there was just no mm-hmm. what left over. So finally, uh, like my they kept on giving me antibiotics and saying it's a bladder infection go home and i didn't do that well finally they just get sick of me coming in they're like fine just go to a urologist get a scope mm-hmm. so I'll go in get the scope doctor says well, why don't you get changed and we'll we'll talk like, okay cool I, he comes in he sits down he's like this makes no sense i'm like what he's like you have cancer hmm. i'm going okay uh he's like do you smoke no, never, I mean, a, a pipe in college occasionally, you know, because mm-hmm. you know, I had to sit yeah. outside and look cool, uh, you know, pipe I occasionally, but that's about it. Um, you know, uh, he's like, did you, do you have this in your family? No. Have you ever had chemotherapy? No. Have you, and there was like five or six things he went through and I said no to all of them. It's not in my family. It's not anything. He's like, then this makes absolutely no sense because he's like, you technically shouldn't even be able to have it yet. He says you don't get this before the age of 40. And mm-hmm. I was 36 at the time. And I think I had had it already for a couple of years. The bleeding had been on for a couple of years. Oh, wow. Yeah, And so, cause this, I think it took it two years for them to find it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was something that I had no risk factors for. I shouldn't have been able to have it. Uh, but there it was. And I said, you know, you know, it's one of those things. If you've had that experience, you know, that feeling of your, stu- your heart just dropping into your stomach um, because you're just and you start asking questions like, okay, um, how, how bad is it? Mm-hmm. I don't know. And like, how do we find out how bad it is? He's like, well, we got to go, we we will go in, we'll remove it. And uh, then we'll be able to find out how deep, deep it goes. We'll do an MRI first, but you never know until you actually go in. Mm-hmm. And so he basically said, we and I said, well, how serious can it be? He's like, well, the good news is bladder cancers usually are not as aggressive as most of the others, but there are a few that are very aggressive. And and so basically he said, it could be nothing or it could be everything. I'm like, okay, well, what stage is it? Well, it could be stage one or it could be stage four. I'm like, okay, well, what does that mean for treatments? Well, it might mean that you just have to take it out or it might mean we have to do a full range of chemo and remove your bladder and uh, you have a, you're going to have a bag for the rest of your life and so on and so on. So basically it's nothing or it's everything. Hmm. And it's in that, that day was the day that faith, is you know what as far as getting you through evil because i remember going back and sitting in the car and i remember it was was a gorgeous day it was winter but it was you know one of those six days a year that the sky is sunny in january kind of thing Mm -hmm. and i remember sitting in the car and i remember just praying and going okay lord um the doctor has no idea other than it's cancer Mm -hmm. (laughs) he's like doesn't know severity doesn't know anything um but you do. Mm -hmm. I said, you know what this is. You know how bad it is. You know how this is going to affect my life going forward. You know, all of this. And I said, and I know I'm your kid. I'm your child in Christ. I know who I am in the midst of this. I'm not alone in this. And I said, um, so Lord, get me through it. And I, I admit, I was crying as I was praying it. I mean, because mm-hmm. I'm, you know, you're just, you're just an emotional wreck because you just don't know. It's like this could be a death sentence. This could be an inconvenience in my life. And but, you got young kids at home. And- uh, well, yeah, I think I'm trying I think Brayden would have been. I only have one, so Br- okay, my son's yeah. Brayden. I want to say he was probably early teens, late, um, middle school somewhere in that okay, area yeah. at that time. And so, uh, um, yeah, so it was, um. But it was faith and that when we talked earlier, that rock, that foundation, that thing that, you know, that, that thing that you can trust, that thing you can know is there Um, because there, nothing, everything else that I thought was up in the air at that point, you know, uh, am I going to be there for my son's graduation? Am I going to be there for my son to get married and have kids? Um, what about my wife? Are we fine? I start asking questions like I'm the main breadwinner in the family. Uh, Jody uh, has always been had flexible jobs so that she could stay at home with my, my son when he was younger. And, mm-hmm. you know, also because being a pastor, my schedule is really weird. So her having flexible jobs has always been very helpful for us to take mm-hmm. time together. Um, but that also meant that I was usually the main breadwinner of the family and like is she going to be set if if i was to be gone is, how is she how's our insurance you got all these things suddenly yeah. everything you thought was you know solid and you knew is suddenly up in the air um including whether you're going to live or die mm-hmm. and so when everything else suddenly became quicksand it was the one thing that i could grab hold of and just go i know i know this is solid I know in this I am safe. I know, kind of like what we were talking about with Paul. He's like, oh, the house is on fire. <laughs> yeah. But he said, I'm good. For me, my health is on fire. <laughs> it's like everything is, yeah. But I had that hope. And and I know it, it sounds cliche. I, I had Jesus, you know, mm-hmm. but that's exactly what it was. And you, and you found a similar piece as Paul. Yeah. Um. And I'm sure, like I said, the, the uh, when people say peace, they they often think, oh, that meant all the, all the worries were gone. Right. And mm-hmm. and it didn't mean that at all. Uh, to be honest, the worries were there. And to be honest, there was anger with it. Because, I mean, you go through all the, those stages of grief. Mm-hmm. There was – and what's funny is because your theology goes out the window. It, it, your theology is the strongest thing and it also goes out the window at the exact same time. Yeah. Because it's like your the, my, my theology, my faith is what I was holding on to, giving me that foundation. But I was also going, seriously, what I do? Yeah. Did I do something to make you angry? Did I, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, which you know is not, it's like, God is not going, well, you jaywalked three weeks ago. Yeah. Cancer. (laughs) You know, it's not, you know, it's not that. And your theology says that and your faith says that, but your brain's going, okay, did you do something to make God angry? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, why are you picking on me? Or all those questions that come about, Mm -hmm. um, go flying through your brain. And Mm -hmm. some stick around for longer than others. Some are more logical than others but they're all there. Yeah.
0: I appreciate that you put it that way because you, you showcase both that that peace is there, mm-hmm. you know, through your relationship with God and through Christ, but that doesn't mean this is some kind of magic wand where oh, you yeah. get a diagnosis of cancer and you never have any kind of worry or struggles, right? But it's, it is a completely different process, but it's still going to be a process.
1: Yeah. Right. Well, and I, that, I think process is a great way to put it, you know? Um, and I'm sure if you ask Paul the same, I think he would say, you know, Paul, the, Guy that yes, burned up yeah, St. Paul. Paul uh, you know, and, and named I think, after Apostle Paul. Yes, probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Paul II. Um, you know, he I can guarantee you it was they had that peace in that exact moment, but after that moment was done, I guarantee you there was okay, God, why did you let this happen to me? You know, there's, there's all those questions that we ask. Yeah. You know, I guarantee you that he went through that denial, the anger, and all the other stuff that went along with it. Um, and I ask in questioning God if I'm truly your kid, why did you allow this to happen? If mm-hmm. I'm truly the one you love or one, one that you love, um, why did you allow this? Yeah. Yeah. Have you read um, A Grief Observed? No. So,
0: um, so C.S. I Lewis of writes... I know but I haven't read yeah. it. So he write, I always love... He writes A Problem of Pain mm-hmm. or The Problem of Pain, right? So that's where he goes through it, like you said, the theological, the philosophical answer. And I think he gives a very uh, satisfying theological and philosophical answer. Later on in his life, after he's already written this, he's wrestled with this about as good as any modern individual has, and then his wife dies, right? So now he's left, and he keeps a journal, which he later publishes as a grief observed, so the ability to observe the process that he went through through his grief. And he goes through times of despair, Um, maybe not use the word despair because it's not fully hopeless, but certainly times of being completely down. He goes through times of being angry at God. He goes through times of doubting the goodness of God. So he goes, he's, he's wrestled with this as much mm-hmm. as anybody has. And he goes through that process. He goes down and he ends on the upside, right? But it's a process mm-hmm. and it's a process that you can walk, watch Christ work through the whole time he's wrestling with who he should be wrestling with. He's wrestling with God. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's a very, it's, it's a very healthy book that
1: outlines very much what you're talking about here. And I think you hit it right on the head with he wrestles with who he should be wrestling with. Mm. I think that's a beautiful way to put it because I can't tell you one of the things I found in ministry so often is people are like, I am angry, I am upset, I'm because whatever it is, whether it's a divorce or wellness or any of these things, I'm angry and I'm upset, but I can't talk to God about this because then I'd be being unfaithful or Mm -hmm. I would be, it'd be looking like I'm doubting. I had one member at my first congregation, uh, she was, uh, she was having physical issues and she was really angry at God and she's like, but I can't talk to him about it. And I was, I've been amazed in my ministry, how many people feel that way. I can't Mm -hmm. talk about to God about I'm angry. Um, and I told her, I said, okay, here, um, do me a favor. I want you to read the book of Psalms. And when I come back next time, we'll talk. Mm -hmm. So I came back the next time and I said, so what'd you think? And you just see she had this kind of like yeah, I didn't do it kind of thing. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, she's like, I, I, I said, how far did you get? And she's like, about, about Psalm eight. Like, okay, so what did you think about, you know? And I, well, I think I, the first question is, why didn't you know what what had you stop? Why did what stopped you? And she goes, I didn't like it. <laughs> and I'm going, okay, why didn't you like it? And she's like, well, I can't believe that person talked to God that way. That was wrong. Mm. And I'm like that was David. <laughs> That's King David. Yeah. So you're telling me that King David was not a faith, you know, a, a, you know, a, a, a believer or, you know, that David did it wrong. She's like, that was David. I'm like, yeah, it was David. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and she's like, oh, and for her, the idea that, and, and I said, I want you to keep going and I want you to realize that God has no problem with you being angry, mm-hmm. that you being upset and, and so on. What he wants you to do is like David and bring it to him. Mm-hmm. You know, um, what I love in the... I have gained this new respect for the book of Job. Yeah. I have, I used to, like, you know, I liked it, but, you know, I like little parts. And now I, I've just kind of, as I've grown in my faith, and the more I've read it, the more I'm just like, this is amazing. And Job gets... Uh, God tells uh, Job's quote-unquote friends, uh, yeah, you guys are idiots. Um, You better pray that... Job prays for you, because otherwise I'm going to wipe you out because you've mm-hmm. annoyed me to no end. Um, and he actually says, Job has honored me. Mm. And you look back at the rest of Job, you're like, how did God Job honor you? He he's complained about you. He said you've been unjust. He said you, you know, all these different things. And what God is saying, what, what God is saying is, yeah. But he complained to me about mm-hmm. it. He he says he has honored me. In other words, he has seen me as God, the one who is all powerful, the one who is in control, the one who is there in the midst of this, and he has honored me by taking those complaints and those things to me. Mm-hmm. And when I, you know, when somebody said that, I wish I could say that was my thought. I think, I, once again, I think that might have been Keller in that book, mm-hmm. um, and I've heard it in other places. To see that what God wants. It, it, Job never was out of relationship with God. And even when he was at his angriest, where did he direct that anger? To God. Mm-hmm. Because in a relationship, you're going to have highs and lows and all that stuff. Yeah. And so for, I think a big part of going through suffering is taking it to the Lord, all of it. Mm-hmm. Not just the good stuff, not just the thank you, God, for getting me through that, but the Lord, I'm really angry right now. Uh, why do I have this? And you might, you know, Job didn't get an answer. Yeah, Job just got, I'm God. Who are you? Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, but he did get, you know, but God still talked to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and God still, it was in, in a dialogue with him. Um, and I think that was, I think as far as going through suffering and would help getting me through it. And I know it's helped Paul through it and many other people is that, that constant dialogue. You may be angry, but where do you direct that anger? Mm-hmm. Directed the one who actually, you know, um, I had an associate for a while, uh, Matt Wade, he's in California now, said one of the greatest things I, and I, have stolen it from him and Mm -hmm. I have, I fully admit I stole it. He, he once said, God is big enough to handle your anger Hmm. and he's big enough to handle your disappointment. It's like, what do you think? God's going to be like, oh, you've hurt my feelings. I can't be like, you you know, I'm out of here. Um, now should we do it respectfully? Yes, because mm-hmm. he's still God. Yeah, <laughs> You know, Job does that very well for the most part. Uh, you know, but we still, we should respect, you know, in those times still treat God as God because that is who he is. But he wants to have those conversations with us. Mm-hmm. And when you are hurt and when you're falling apart, I don't know, at least for me, there was a lot of comfort in even bringing that pain and suffering, knowing that he cared. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where, sorry. Yeah, no, I was going to ask,
0: has good come out of that process? Because you've had, you've now had this cancer diagnosis came, what, 10 years ago? A little bit over, yeah, about that. Over, yeah. Okay. Yeah, just yeah. barely
1: over that. So has, has good come out of that process? Yeah. Um, one, realizing how short life is. I think uh, you had another speaker on here talking about, you know, that idea mm-hmm. of uh, realizing that you tomorrow is not guaranteed. Yeah. And that has actually well, tomorrow is guaranteed in that you're going to be somewhere, Mm -hmm. you know, my, my eternal salvation is guaranteed. I know I'm going to be somewhere. It's just a question of is tomorrow here in this situation guaranteed? And the answer is no, Mm uh, which has in a lot of ways really encouraged me to make the most of what God has given me, you know, whether it be my time or talents or just family or enjoying that, uh, having, you know, I lost my dad last year and just kind of that idea of, you know, enjoying what time I have with family, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, enjoying that time with my kids or my kid and my wife and, but also my sisters Mm -hmm. and my mom and just getting together and enjoying that and, and really taking advantage of it. Uh, but it also has as a minister and I think not just as a minister, I think anybody that's gone through that kind of stuff has something they can offer to those that are also going through it. You know, Paul says we, we have been comforted so we can come be comforters. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's a lot to that. I think a lot of Christians miss and they, or it's an opportunity they miss. Mm-hmm. Um, I could always sit with people that had, had cancer diagnosis and sympathize. Yeah, that sucks. You know? Yeah. I now know what it feels like to have the doctor look you in the eye and say it's cancer and it could be terminal. We don't know. Um, it changes completely how you see it, how you react to it. Um, and you don't have to tell people, I know how you feel. Cause even though I have the, had this experience, I still don't know what they feel with being told what they've been told. Yeah. But I know that feeling of this, your heart just dropping. And I think there's something to be said for being able to just sit there with them and and knowing that. And I think uh, the best way I can put it is I feel that it has made me a more empathetic person to what they're going through. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm sure it helps in a lot of other ways, but I think that's one a lot of people miss, especially just. Because they go well, pastors do that. Yeah. Well, you can do that. You know, any any person that is a Christian that has gone through pain and suffering, part of that a blessing of that is you can relate. You can you have that empathy mm-hmm. uh, to walk with other Christians or non Christians. What a great witness! Yeah. You know, it's like you know, I'm here for you. You know, and that Lord may open those doors for po- possibility to share that faith. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. I think that's that I think that gives a powerful context to back to right the original question that pe- people do struggle with this. They mm-hmm. say I see evil in the world, I see pain in the world. How do I reconcile that to God? I think it's good to marry those two things together of there's a for, for those that want to think through this, not everybody does, but mm-hmm. certainly some people do. If you want to think through this, there's a theologically sound and a philosophically sound answer. Is it going to make all the sense in the world? No. I can't mm-hmm. I can't do that but it's going to be as good as any other answer that's out there right but then there's the other the flip side of it which is uh, it's good to talk about it but then you're going to experience it and how does how does walking through that process look like so being able to hear someone like Paul and his story which is quite unique you know your story which is uh challenging not as unique right yeah, no, a lot no, of people no, know all. yeah everyone everyone listening probably says i know somebody who's ha- heard that that mm-hmm. news right so it's helpful to hear those stories and be able to relate that then back to the question and say, this is how these answers take real form, right? You can We can talk about it theologically, we should, but then at some point, the person who has that faith and understands it theologically in that way, watch how that then tangibly plays out in their life, giving peace to someone who's been stabbed in the head <laughs> and the fire is burning down. I was, yeah, I was wondering, what do you think he was thinking after he got out of his house? And then he, do you think he like rang the doorbell for the neighbor or knocked and then he's kind of probably you he's know, covered in blood he's yeah standing, like, <laughs> he's standing there he had to <laughs> he wait said, you, right you, like you, what you, what's going through your mind when you're standing there waiting
1: oh yeah no i, I you know i can't even imagine what that would have been like yeah and you know it however i will say this and this is something that came to mind as you were talking about that um we always we always jump to the cross in Christ's salvation because like I said, Paul, that was his thing. Christ has saved me. I am in his hands. I'm good. Mm-hmm. Um for me, it was also that, and it's good to jump to that. Mm-hmm. But I think that something has become even more real to me in those times, and I think probably would be for Paul and many other people would say this: is Jesus at Lazarus' tomb? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. the the, every confirmation kid wants jesus wept for their confirmation verse i want the shortest one yeah and it's funny it's the shortest but in my opinion is one of the greatest verses Hmm. um because jesus has shown up he knew lazarus was gonna die he knows why he's coming mary and martha are in utter just distraught the other and they're angry and once again they're they're angry Hmm. at god lord if you had only been here you know why Tell me why you were not here. We called for you. We asked for you. You could have saved him. You could have changed this and you didn't. Mm-hmm. Why? You know, they they're understandably angry. Mm-hmm. And Jesus sees their pain. He sees, he doesn't chew them out. Notice Jesus never says, What little faith you have. You know, and, and you know, he, he, he never says any of that. He sees their anger, he takes their anger. And then as they start going to the tomb, it says those two beautiful words. Jesus wept. Does Jesus not know what's going to happen in five minutes? He's like, oh, well, we'll, see, we'll see what happens when I get there. I don't mm-hmm. know. We're gonna. He knows he's going to raise Lazarus in five minutes. And he weeps. He doesn't weep for Lazarus. He doesn't weep for himself. He weeps because he sees the people he loves and the pain that they're in. And for me at my dad's funeral, I knew Jesus wept with us. hmm not because he was worried about my dad. My dad's standing right there with him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But Yeah. He's like, no, nah, he's good, you know. Mm-hmm. It, but he saw our pain and he knew our suffering and he understands it um, and wept with us on that day. Um, not because, I mean, and the thing is, he's the one that knows better than anybody how this is all going to turn out, how we're all going to be brought together again in his presence, how we're all going to never be separated again, how it's going to be more joy than anything we possibly ever could. I mean... Yeah, you know, we do that as parents. We see, you know, you know, for your kid, this is going to turn out good in the end, or however, whatever they're struggling through. But you see their pain and their suffering right now, and mm. you're you just you ache for them. And yeah, yeah. So for me, that verse has become this, and I I try to point people to it, going your God is not this God that is far off and doesn't care what you're suffering right now. And this evil that you're going through Um, one, he has made it. So ultimately this comes out for our good and is going to turn out, you know, it it ultimately is going to work out. Mm -hmm. But even in the moment he's not up there going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just deal with it. You know, Mm -hmm. he, he sees your pain and he, he weeps with you. He, 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 he empathizes with you. He, mm-hmm. he, he is with you in that pain. And I think that, you know, knowing pe- I, I feel really bad for those that go through pain, at least in their mind on their own, they don't feel they have anybody with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's where the church can do a lot when it comes to pain is, you know, those we've really pushed meal trains this year. Yes. Uh, yeah. You know, not, not what because a blessing they, those are, Oh yeah. Not, not because they actually really need food because <laughs> I mean, we have food all over. it's more we want to love you yeah we want to show you we want to give you a daily reminder that we're here for you mm-hmm. here's lasagna yeah <laughs> you know yeah. so here's funeral hot dish yeah exactly it's like uh, here's 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 food yeah yeah because that's how we show
0: love you yeah know? but yeah well that's beautiful thanks for sharing that yeah. i think that's good um okay we're gonna have to have you back on at some point because we've got some more questions here <laughs> Okay, we've got actually a lot of questions we didn't quite get to, which is, which is fine. We could just do flash questions. And just yeah, like, mm-hmm. um, let's do this. I, I, you've talked before, so I want to maybe close with this. You talked before about the power of story, and we've gestured toward this a couple times now, and you've you've given some examples, but can you talk about um, how, how your understanding of the power of story has affected you, affected your ministry, and even affected the way that you understand, in some ways, right, the articulation of the church, if that's fair? Uh, if you just want to talk about this, because I think I think you're you're passionate and you're onto to something really good there, and I
1: think you have a good point i it, part of it for me comes from where I was raised. I was raised with a dad who's a pastor who is known for his stories. If there's anything my dad was ever known for it was uh well. He was known for his love of Christ, but it was in using stories to share that love of Christ. And, and your father was what was uh, his debut? Ken Klaus. Ken he was Klaus. he was a Lutheran hour speaker for ten years or so, uh, was a so kind of like filled in every month for about another six years after that. So he was on the Lutheran hour for a long time. But uh no matter where he was in parishes or on the radio, if you if you were to ask somebody, describe Ken Klaus and his preaching, they'd be like stories. Mm-hmm. Um he actually had an ability that I wish I had, you know, if I used as many stories as he would, you, they called them the skyscraper stories, one story after, or one, stri, skyscraper sermons, one story after another. Yeah. Um, Dad had ability to add as many stories as you possibly want, and people would walk away with the point about Christ. Mm. If I do that, they go, Well, I'm, I like that third story you told. They, they remember the story. So, but dad, so I was raised with stories being the way to explain things and to share. And, you know, and Jesus did the same thing. I mean, parables all the time. Mm-hmm. But I find that in, you know, from my own ministry, I've found that stories is what connects these big truths in a, in a grounded way. It's like even if it's an it's, even if it's a made up story, even if it's a, a fictional story, it takes that 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 ivory tower scriptural truth that is true. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people go, "How does that apply to me?" I don't understand how. Yeah, it's like yeah, that's it's true, good, fine. You know, uh, there's you know, quantum mechanics may be true too, but it doesn't mean anything for me here in my life. Mm-hmm. But you take that story, and suddenly that scriptural truth becomes real to their daily lives. Um, and I think. That is what we often, as far as the general church, often miss. I think we often um the in the Missouri Synod, we're very good about this is true. Here are the truths, here are the doctrinal truths and and I think we have a great scriptural foundation. We're Germans, right? We're yeah. very systematic. We are very systematic and you know, this is the truth, just that's what that's all we need. Mm. We have we have the truth and that's it. And where I think a lot of other denominations have done well, I don't think they have the truth. I don't, I don't think they have the truth as well as we do. I think they, there's a lot of things where they have gotten things wrong and where, like, I think they've got a lot of things miss, messed up. And uh But people will flock that way. And some people go, well, it's just because they're, you know, itching ears and they're you know, that's where they're going because, you know, it ties to their sinful nature. And there may be some truth to that. But I think what a lot of denominations do really well is they see the power of story. Mm. I can talk about peace all I want. But if I tell you about Paul, a guy that got stabbed multiple times mm-hmm. by a guy that broke in his house and then they tried to light him on fire. And in the midst of all that fire and blood and just pain, he feels peace. Suddenly you're like, I want that. Mm-hmm. I want I want what Paul has. If you just said, Would you like peace? You know, people are like, eh, I suppose, yeah, peace sounds good. Yeah, you know, I'd like that over what I got now. Yeah. And it's like a debate. Like, I suppose, yeah, peace would be good. I'll take peace with a side of whatever trust as well, you know. But as soon as you put it in that form of a story, mm-hmm. you know, or somebody has gone through cancer, that you know, peace is what they experienced in the midst of that, 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 or hope or trust, you know, and you start using that story, people go, I want that. I mm-hmm. want what that person has because suddenly it's real. And I think we often go, Well, we've got the doctrines, we've got the truth and we go you should just accept that cuz well we're german and we give you facts and you consume facts and then we're all on the same page of facts and that means we're all good mm-hmm. so many people out there yeah facts are good but it's a question of how does it you know and that's actually why a lot of um when i when we're talking about some of the other stuff we talked about like some of the uh you know social issues that are going on why we struggle winning that battle a lot of times is because they'll be like okay yeah that's what god says but this is John and John, you know, has been struggling with this his whole life story and he's got the story, a story yeah. and it's a sad story. And all, I mean, and to be honest, a lot of times it's a true, I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. it, you, when you hear some of the stuff that has been done to those that have been struggling with their sexuality in some of these camps, these uh, mm-hmm. you know conversion camps where they were literally tortured, really? you know? Okay. Yeah. Like, you know, no, don't be wrong. There are also camps that were very kind and loving and, and right, it's like yeah. camps. It's like, you know, these places that people, you know, <laughs> after our other discussions, you gotta be careful when you, you know, yeah. but, um, these places that they sent to, these conversion places to try to help people work through their their sexual, uh, you know, the directions that they're going um, and work through it scripturally and lovingly. There are those, but there's also these other ones where people were just treated absolutely horribly. Mm. You wouldn't want to wish, the, wish some of the stuff that was done to them on your worst enemy. And you mm. hear that story and suddenly it's like, oh, yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from in that. And yeah, God says this, but, you know, mm. this story and so I think that's where we, as the church, need to. I mean, think about when we read scripture. What are we reading? Yeah, there's doctrine, mm-hmm. but what are we what are we drawn to? We're drawn to the story of Jesus weeping with Mary and Martha. Mm-hmm. We're drawn to Jesus saying, "Father, forgive them." And the you know we're drawn to the the narrative, the story. Uh, now. Just because I say use the word story doesn't mean it's any less true. I actually in my preaching often actually now say, I don't say, well, let's look at the story of Mary and Martha. I'll actually say, well, let's look at the account of, mm-hmm. you know, because we think story, we think someone made it up or yeah. untrue or it's fictional. And it's, I've tried to use more, let's look at the history of scripture <laughs> here and delve into this. But I think that story is something we need to grab hold of more. Mm-hmm. In the church, but also not just as pastors and as the the larger church, but also as, um, members and uh, fellow Christians, your story, whether you have a conversion story or not, you know, and I think that that's another topic right there mm-hmm. of we, I think in the church, especially in our non-denominational Baptist world of the church, um, Unless you can say when your story started, like I remember when I was 18, I can, you know, oh, that's a good salvation story. Mm -hmm. Well, I was baptized into Christ and Christ made me his own and I've known Christ all my life. They're like, well, that's not very good. (laughs) Next. Yeah. yeah, It's like, I think we need to be more proud of that story going, yeah, you know, God is God chose me before you. So maybe I'm just a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> no, don't use that one. But you know, it's Pull that, that clip out then. Yeah. And, thank uh, you. Kurt Klaus said, <laughs> if I, if I, you know, my district president gives me a call going, I got this 32nd clip of you. you know, <laughs> um, But I think we need to be proud of that story too. Mm-hmm. Saying I've had that, 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 uh, that certainty. And that love all my life. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's cool that you didn't, but God brought you in at a later date. And it's cool how dramatic that was. But I also have this story of all my life, God has been there. And mm-hmm. and uh and it has grown deeper at, in time. And there are things in that life that have made it more real to me and more understood. But he was never any less with me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a story we need to be able to tell too and find ways to express it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I can think of two things there. One, you know, you were
0: baptized as a child, and what goes into that story? Well, that goes in your your parent's story and your grandparents' story, right? Whatever brought them together, whatever wrestling things have gone, led them to the point where they are now having a child, and they're bringing that child into baptism. So that's that's a story, and it's also a story that pulls away your ego a little bit. It doesn't have to be something that I went through at age twelve. It could be something my parents went through. Before I was even born, right? Because that's how God works. God weaves all these things.
1: So it's God's generational faithfulness. Yeah, yeah. What what a
0: great story to that, you know. And then two, you know, I can think of stories that you might tell about events in your life where, you know, your faith took a you know a deeper level, or it, you had to wrestle with something, or whatever it is. But then you can then return that because we would say that theologically, right? That whatever's going on there, maybe I'm con- you know repenting of something and receiving a forgiveness. I'm returning to that baptismal relationship, hmm. right? And what's going to feed into that will be things that I went through when I was two and when I was three, and maybe stories that my parents read to me that didn't seem like it had any effect, but all of a sudden those things take root at age 12, as I'm, you know, wrestling with something that you're dealing with at school, whatever it is. Right. So those stories are also potent to remind parents. Do the real work because the real work <laughs> is the daily disciplines nope. that you do with your family. You know, someday you might have some grandiose day where you wake up and all of a sudden before the end of the day, there's some you know, huge come to Jesus moment, but most days it's doing those small diligent things. And those are the things that really give root and allow those big days to become possible,
1: right? And that baptismal theology, like you said, takes the emphasis off of you mm-hmm. and the fa- the family and the baptismal theology takes it off of you and more the idea of God being generationally faithful to you through all th- your family through those ages and that you fit into that story at one spot, but the whole story isn't about you. Yeah. That's that American, uh, theology of the story is about me and my faith story yeah. and my choice and my, you know, it's, mm-hmm. you know, good old, uh, uh, um, now I'm forgetting, um, Oh, I can't even remember his accent. Why am I blanking right now? Look it up, Bennett. Uh, uh, he's got an accent. Uh, he's, yeah, no, uh, <laughs> he's,
0: he's that guy. That it, one guy. It's
1: St. Louis. Why am I blanking? Um, you can cut this part out for sure. <laughs> uh, you know, but he uh, as soon as I get out of as here, you're I'm proce- here
0: I'll, I'll tell you. You can process that. Right, there you go. Um, but yeah, w- w- what I like about this is because I've got a love hate relationship with testimonies, right? Mm-hmm. And the love you look at, it and you are like I. Sh- should absolutely love this, but so often what's thrown in is this egocentric kind of spin to it, right? And it's that egocentric spin that I think turns people off rightly so. So your point of kind of being able to um, elevate the potency of the story, because we want the story, we want to be able to share good things that God has done, as long as this is focused back on good things that God has done and not you know, effects that I've had, and then, you know, w- look what I've been through, or look what I've overcome. Um, so I think rooting it in kind of that baptismal life and such. Uh, and that, that story
1: us. is no less important and good than the story of somebody who became a Christian. It was, it was called the faith at the age of 40, mm-hmm. you yeah, know, yep. through some, you know, it's like, the, we often go, well, my story, I've just been a Christian all my life. Like, yep. blah, 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 blah. It's like, no, that's awesome. Yep. That's, that's fantastic. It, Herman Nagel. There you go. Okay. Uh, you know, I can never say this quote without trying to do his accent because his accent was always just so much fun. Uh, but his thing that he would always ask and this pertained to scripture, but I think it also pertains to your, you know, your faith story is he'd always be like, who's doing the verbs. And that's the thing is he always wanted to ask you, he wanted you to ask that on, mm-hmm. you know, different things is who's doing the verbs. And, it fits when you're asking in, 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 in scripture, who's the one doing the verb here? Is it God or is it you? And when it came to my own faith story and other people's faith story, who's doing the verbs? Well, it's God's faithfulness. It's God's calling. It's him in my whole family through all those generations. And where American theology often goes off the rails is it's about me and my faith story and my choice and my, this and my, me, it's all, you know, it, it, the the per- person doing the verb get flipped gets mm-hmm. flipped instead of God. It's you know, and that's where that you know idea of the bigger idea of that family one it puts you in. I, I absolutely love that you said that. I think it's just great. It takes the emphasis off of you and puts it on that bigger picture. But that bigger picture of who, mm-hmm. the bigger picture of God, interwoven through my grandma and my my great grandma and grandpa and great 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 great. You know, at some point, some tree hugger German guy in the middle of you know the woods who was worshiping a tree met some monk that went, Hey, you want to worship something? That's not a tree. Mm-hmm. You know? And he went, yeah, you know, and th- that whole story and, you know, went through and through that, it, I'm, I'm just one little blip in the bigger yeah. picture of that great story. And yeah. it's all God's working through it all. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's great. And anything else that you think that people can be doing with stories or the church can be doing with stories?
1: I just think or that, just just the potency of it, yeah, I think it's just the potency of it and realizing that your story is something that's worth sharing, yeah. not because it's about you and that's the key you know like, I think you i am actually very glad you brought that for it because it could be very that's easy these like conversations work right yeah so. it's like it's very true that does happen too. yeah the uh the you know it's not about you it's about you know your story is God's working in your life and in your family's life, and if you're like, well I'm the first one, great guess what you're the beginning you are what it, my guy in a loincloth in a woods in Germany is, you are that person for your family. Mm-hmm. But it is God working in you to now change the eternal history of your family. Yeah. You know, um, and seeing your baptism and the and in, in that conversion, even if it's not as flashy, maybe, as somebody else, seeing how amazing and special it is mm-hmm. and being able to share that, whether you're a pastor or a person in the pew, mm-hmm. uh God's going to work through it and share it. Don't, you know, like I said, we often go, well, I was baptized. That's really, I got the shades and I just always went to church. And you know, it's like, no, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, tell people about that. You know, yeah.
0: I don't think I've ever thought about that, but I think that's kind of a good aha moment of, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let me, l- l- let me, you want to hear what happened? My, you know, for me, I'm trying to think how many generations it would go back. But, it, it, you'd have a couple. You'd have a couple people at least brought into the family tree who are not Christians, right? And da 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 da, and this goes on and this goes on, and now all of a sudden you've got me, yep. right? So my, the the story it doesn't begin with me, right? It began with Adam and Eve, and it weaves throughout history. And, it won't, and unless
1: Jesus comes back, it's not going to end. It's with not going to end with
0: me. Yeah, the point of my life is that it's going to now ripple through other people's lives, and that's mm-hmm. what gives life real meaning, and that's what allows you to laugh at it sometimes. Probably find peace when your house is burning down <laughs> because. In the end, your life wasn't about you. Your life was about those around you. And mm-hmm. God's going to keep working in those
1: around you, whether you're here or not. So it means a lot for those nights that you sit with. You're talking earlier about sitting with your kids, reading Bible verses with them and mm-hmm. singing hymns with them. And, you know, that's
0: that passing on that story. Yeah. Yeah. This is what my life's about. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what gives it meaning. So, yeah. Well, Kurt, we're going to have to have you back on because we got thank through you. like three questions. Of this is a blast. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. This is yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. And we got to get to Lola's because I am hungry. There we go. But um, let me ask you this: If anyone listening wanted to learn more from you, what are what are what are some ways that they could access you?
1: Um. Well, uh, messiahonline.org is our the, the church website where I serve at the moment, uh, and it's my, Messiah Lakeville. Yeah. Yes, Messiah Lakeville, In Minnesota. Um, yep, Minnesota, and uh, up south of the south side of the Twin Cities, so okay. Messiah Lakeville, um, and uh, uh, also. Um, that's probably the best way to get hold of me is that way. Mm-hmm. So, very nice. And you,
0: what was the series you did?
1: Uh, engage, engage. So I yeah. did engage for Concordia uh, Publishing House. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, have added on to that. Thankfully, uh, there was the, the 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 questions that came with it. I, I did the I wrote the the stories and presented them, and they're basically short little seven to eight minute stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, that uh, then hopefully will create some discussion in uh, small group stuff. So mm-hmm. I've got that for them. And I've done some stuff for uh, um, uh, Luther and our ministries. I did uh, a story, but basically a Bible study on Noah and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. for them as well. Very so. nice. Well, Kurt, thanks for all you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. Cheers and God bless. Blessing. This is awesome. Keep this mm-hmm. up. This is, I, we'll I enjoyed this. This is a blast. I hope this is, I, I think, uh, yeah, great way to tell stories and get the word out of the yep. Lord and. This is just fantastic. Well, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. We're on Bennett's shoulders here.